What's going on, everybody? Happy Tuesday. Glad to be back. What's up, Fahim? Everyone's having a uh, a good day, good week. It's been a weird one. Typically is in America. Welcome to the show, Hey Fahim. Totally happy to be in this uh, uh, little man camp with you. <laughs> uh, and I just thought that, given the that we're on the what twenty first, the twenty second anniversary of uh, 9-11, I, I thought we'd sit down for a little bit and just discuss how much of an impact that event and more than the event itself, the subsequent administrations in America and the the choices that they made have led us to kind of where we are at today. Um. It's kind of hard to to really, I guess, for me to process that there are a good number of people today who, you know, young people who weren't alive when 9-11 happened and who were never born in a world where the Dixie Chicks were still a popular, famous band until after 9-11. You know, there, it, it, it's just now occurring to me that there are people who have no idea how we got to where we got to and really who don't really have much of an idea as to why a lot of people have been drawn to the left and not just to the left, but to the, the right. Uh, why a lot of people have such a distrust for the media, such a distrust for American institutions, such a distrust for democracy itself. And I do really think you can track most of this distrust back to 9-11 and what happened afterwards. So I thought it was worth talking about a little bit today. And look, I don't, I'm not the greatest historian, but I'm going to give just a brief history of some of the policy decisions that came after 9-11 and sort of try to set the political landscape for people who are listening later or who, who don't know. And I know it seems ridiculous because so many of us are can directly shape or directly back so much of our politics back to this event, back to the years afterwards, the Bush years, and then the Obama years, and the hope that we all saw with Obama and how that was just empty and how it was betrayed and how, like I said, how we got here. But let, let me just, uh, I'll lay it down. This is, again, most of this is just my own recollection of stuff. 
and take that with a grain of salt because I was in seventh grade when 9-11 happened. So I was young. So uh, obviously, just about everyone who's alive and has any connection to America has heard about 9-11. On September 11, 2001, a, uh, a number of planes flown by what would then be called terrorists uh, flew into the World Trade Center and the Pentagon. And there was one other plane that got downed in some field in Pennsylvania. But uh, you could see all the footage. You, I'm sure you saw some of it if you were on Twitter or on whatever social media site you were. But, uh, you know, it's, it was a terrifying attack. It was a senseless attack that resulted in about 3,000 Americans who were dead, mostly civilians. Uh, if you ever watch the footage of the, the towers coming down, the World Trade Centers, uh, it's, it's pretty alarming. I mean, it's, it's, it's horrifying. And it was an attack that horrified a lot of people. Before then, I can't remember when the last attack on U.S. soil had been, but uh, nothing of this scale had ever happened. Uh, maybe it was Timothy McVeigh. Actually, you know, a lot of people uh, with Timothy McVeigh and the Oklahoma City bombing, they thought in the immediate aftermath, in the chaos of 9-11, they thought that maybe it was connected to Timothy McVeigh in some way. Uh, but it turns out, no. It was, uh, you know, Osama bin Laden, as we all came to learn. But I think people forget that Bush, you know, when when Bush found out about the attacks, he was in a kindergarten classroom somewhere, I believe, reading a book. And you see this this aide of his come over and whisper in his ear. And he just has this stunned-ass look on his face. You know, someone has just come to him and said, hey, America's under attack. And you could just see him in the classroom. He's just sitting there for a second, completely aghast and unable to meet the moment. And this is after Bush, too. For those of you who forget, we forget that Bush probably actually lost the election, right, when he ran against Gore. He lost the popular vote for sure, but there was a whole scandal about the vote count in Florida. And every time they did a recount, Al Gore came up as a winner. And that was the only state that decided the election. That was the one state. So Bush is this person who hasn't been in office very long, who is told that a terrorist attack has occurred on his watch and the people are, you know, Americans are completely just frightened, right? He comes out and makes a speech that night where he talks about the terror attacks. And for a lot of us, this is the first time we had heard of a terror attack, honestly, but how it shook the foundations of America's biggest buildings and how even though it shook our foundations, it can't shake or touch the foundation of America. And then he starts talking about freedom and democracy and how you can't kill freedom, all stuff that you would think you would hear in, in a, you know, after a terrorist attack. But one thing that he starts talking about that is sort of foreshadowing for the future is how America's values cannot be destroyed and how there are people out there who are just evil. And 
That's why they do things. Now, were the terrorist attacks from 9-11 evil? Absolutely. Yes. Like, duh. But I think people, I think it's important to understand that, to understand why America went the route that it went. I think you have to understand just how much America thought and its politicians and its leaders thought they had the moral high ground, not because of any sort of intrinsic values to America. It may have started out that way, but really they thought they had the moral high ground because terrorists are evil and they need to be eliminated from the earth. It was very black and white. In the months that followed, by I think it was even October, right? So it's September, then we get to October, and we're already in something called Operation Enduring Freedom, which was the U.S.'s operation to remove the Taliban from Afghanistan. And the group that actually did the, like, there's, okay, the Taliban, different group than Al-Qaeda. Do they have ties? Yes, but like, again, we're attacked by Al-Qaeda and, and, and Osama bin Laden. And then now we're already, within like a month, in less than a month, we're in Afghanistan. And we're going there to try to track down bin Laden. He's trying to escape the country. He's going through the mountains. We have the CIA intelligence that's telling us that he's going through the mountains. He's about to escape into Pakistan or whatever. And eventually he does. He escapes. And I don't know if it was a terror of the of the the moment. I don't know if it was all the whispering that was happening in Bush's ear. I I don't know how things began to escalate as much as they did. But I do know that Dick Cheney played perhaps one of the biggest roles in this. Uh, Dick Cheney, for those of you who don't know, was the vice president for George Bush. Uh, and will perhaps go down as one of the most, I don't, one of the influential would be a, a, a short or a too, too soft of a word. He'll go down as one of the most pivotal people in American history in about the worst way that you possibly can. This man is terrified of terrorism. And he used to work for Halliburton. He was, I think, their CEO at the time. Uh, he had something, it was either a $13 million or $1 million payout by the time that he left Halliburton to work for, uh, to take up the role as vice president. But this is someone who has deep connections with the military industrial complex. It was his career for a long time. And he has this fucking punisher ass attitude of justice as if somehow he's one of those guys who thinks that the only that uh, terrorism is just people choosing to be evil, a bunch of evil people, and that the only way to really destroy terrorism is to fight fire with fire. And if you don't remember this, I had to go back and watch a bunch of movies and, and just read a bunch of articles. It's, I forgot how fucking Dick Cheney was in these initial stages too. He's out there giving interviews on, on live TV, you know, national news talking about how we have to embrace the darkness to meet and move in dark places to 
to destroy the terrorist threat. He's trying to sound like he's fucking Batman or something. And it's it's a little wild because it's it's it kind of shows you that the people who are leading the country at this time are they've already bought into some kind of crazy almost like dogmatic view of the world. And their policy decisions really reflect that. By the next month, we have a new department, the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, Bush is, I think by, uh, I forget what the month was, but he gives some kind of State of the Union address. And he's just talking about good and evil again. And how we have to go and root evil out from wherever it is and kill them. And this is when, after 9-11, I'll back up a little bit. After 9-11, you have this outpouring of support from the world for America. Everybody, every other country, pretty much, on, on, on the planet was having candlelight vigils. Was They were hosting, you know, like like memorials for America. And this was happening, too, in, like, Iran. In these countries that you wouldn't expect there to be very much support for America. But you have the whole world who is sympathetic to you and on your side. And Bush is over here talking about rooting out evil wherever it may be. Uh, And Congress just starts really backing him up. You have a lot of these votes to go into these countries, to go to war. Which are, you know, like 96 of the senators are voting in favor. 98% or 98, 96. It's the whole... Whatever Bush and Cheney wanted to do, wherever they wanted to go, Congress was just sort of going along with it. And they were they were supporting it. And it's it, it was a bipartisan thing. You know, you had Hillary Clinton out here talking about the evils of terrorism and how we need to root them out. You had Biden doing the same thing. And it's hard to really summarize how crazy this environment was, especially being a kid. And growing up and every day on the news, they're talking about some new threat. You know, everything on the news became threatening. For months, it was anthrax. I never even heard of anthrax, but here they are. They're going to come to your house. The terrorists are going to somehow get your address and they're going to send you anthrax in the mail, which is this like white powder shit that I guess makes you sick. It was it was 24 in the 24 hour news cycle is just, look, it's a big deal. You know, September 11th was a big deal, so I get it. I get why they were pushing this or so obsessed with it and what we were going to do. But there was nothing else on the news. It was all threats of terrorism, 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 terrorism. And when Osama bin Laden got away and went to Pakistan or wherever he was at and then released a video, you know, he used to, when he was alive, he would release these videos about, like, America sucks, fuck you, This is why America's going to die or whatever. But his, you know, he said in one of these videos that his plan was basically he knew he couldn't attack America directly. He couldn't compete with them directly. So he was trying to draw them into like a prolonged conflict and to tear them apart from the inside. And America was doing a really good job of doing that to itself. And... There's talks about where 
these ter- well, the, the Bush administration internally start to be to have talks about where these terrorists could regroup now that Osama bin Laden is, has escaped. Where can they have an attack from? They start to get scared. What if they acquire nuclear weapons? How the fuck are they going to acquire nuclear weapons, homie? Like, but these, it doesn't make any sense, but they, they, they must have been under a legitimate belief. Maybe not all of them. You know, Cheney maybe just wanted to make money for Halliburton. But the, the zeitgeist was so crazy that these people thought that these terrorists were somehow going to get nuclear weapons and all of these biological weapons and unleash just devastation on the United States. And we would just be wiped out as a country. So they start asking themselves where these terrorists can pop up next. And, of course, Bush, with his dad having been involved with Desert Storm, Bush says Iraq. All right? Fucking Iraq. And during this time, the media is just, at first, they're just sort of reporting whatever the administration is telling them. Okay, Bush has like an 80% approval rating just because we're all scared. And meanwhile, while this is all going on, the media is just sort of reporting that Bush, there's, there could be terrorists in Iraq, the terrorists in Afghanistan, terror, terror, terror. So the whole, the whole again, the zeitgeist is this fear and this, this, no one's really asking deeper questions. And those voices that are trying to ask deeper questions about, like, how big of a threat is this? Can these terrorists actually get nuclear weapons? You know, they're, they're silenced. They're, they're kept out. And meanwhile, Bush is in Afghanistan still transferring hundreds of prisoners to Guantanamo Bay because Cheney wants to embrace this dark side ass fucking foreign policy and thinks that you know what's going to be a good idea for us to start torturing people in Guantanamo Bay to get information out of them so that we can find these terrorists. And I wish that I was joking here. I wish I was being hyperbolic or I wish that I wasn't being, it sounds crazy, but that's how deep, that's really how deep the analysis was. Honestly, it was not, it was, it was literally just like, we have to be worse than the terrorists in order to get them in line and to get the information we need to get them where they're at. I don't know what the fuck was going on with Cheney, with, with uh, you know, some of these people who are responsible for these decisions, uh, Bush included. But, like, w- we are clearly, like, America and the people who are in power were just scared because they're operating from this place of fear, hard, they start to lose a lot of that goodwill around the world because it turns out some of the pictures leak of us transporting people to Guantanamo Bay. And it's a bunch of these naked men with these black bags over their heads. It looks like something straight out of a fucking like horror film. And the rest of the world is going, all right, well, what the fuck? What are you guys doing? So, I mentioned that Bush starts talking about Iraq. So Iraq basically, I forget was what he ended up doing. But around 2000, was it 2002 or 2004? 
Was it 2004? I can't remember. All I remember is that Bush and his administration begin pushing. It was 2002, I think. It was 2002. God, it was... This all happened so fucking fast, y'all. This is literally, you know, like a year later after September 11th, when we've already been in Afghanistan. We're already going into Iraq. Within a year. Can you imagine? Like, it's so fast. And here's the, here's the thing. They start saying that Iraq is funding these terrorism groups, that Iraq has connections with Osama bin Laden, that Iraq has provided uh, weapons and training to Al-Qaeda. None of this is backed up by anything. In fact, most of this information came from one person, one prisoner of war, had these things tortured out of him and then immediately recanted all of it. Because it turns out when you fucking torture people, they'll say anything just to get it to stop. So all this information about Iraq, it's, it's tenuous at best. But Bush is so wants to go to Iraq, wants to start the war there, thinks it's going to be a quick in and out operation. Go in, get the bad terrorists, start rebuilding, give them the tools for democracy and they'll be good. Dog, when I tell you that like America just started going along with this and that they, America even, they started using Colin Powell who was this, uh, he was a secretary of state at the time. And he was someone who actually had a better reputation within America and kind of around the world. He's someone who's kind of been known as like a straight shooter or whatever. But they start basically using him to sell the idea that uh, Iraq has these tubes, aluminum tubes, and this yellow cake uranium, which are giving them the capability to actually, uh, will give them the capacity to build nukes to carry out terrorist attacks in the United States. Which is fucking nuts. Again, it's nuts. And this all comes from the confession of like that one prisoner of war. And now you have someone who has this worldwide credibility in Colin Powell, who's going out to the UN and making these speeches about we know that they have weapons of mass destruction. It is without a doubt. What did they say? There is no question. There is no question. There is no question. There is no question that Iraq has the capacity to build nuclear bombs. There is no question that Iraq has been uh, funding terrorism. There is no question. We know this without a doubt, without a doubt, without a doubt. You can go and watch hundreds and hundreds of clips of our leaders, all of them, saying these exact words in the same way that someone says a talking point on the news and media organizations back them up. The New York times is publishing article after article about, yes, there is ample evidence to suggest that Iraq has weapons of mass destruction and that they have the United States of America in their sights. And look, pop culture is not helping any of this right now. Okay, I know. I'm. I yes, we blame the leaders, but the culture. Do y'all do y'all remember how shit changed after nine eleven? Do you remember how America, how nationalist people got? People started attacking Sikhs and Muslims. Sikhs, 
started attacking him and killing him. Hate crimes. Muslims get out of here. They're Sikhs. They're not even Muslims. But th this stuff starts coming up. You know, France asked some questions about, well, I don't know if you guys should go to war. They stopped selling French fries and called them freedom fries everywhere. You'd go to McDonald's and order fucking freedom fries. Country music started to suck even more. Like, shit got so fucking weird. People are making songs just about, like, we'll put a boot in your ass. It's the American way. Right? So this kind of ho-dunk, just re reactive, reactionary sort of, we have to cling to the flag and nationalism because our way of life is under attack. That was the culture, okay? So in 2002, when Colin Powell was over here trying to convince people that we're going to go into war, a lot of the United States is behind it. And being a young person in this environment was fucking terrifying because you know, you're like, holy shit, are people, are we going back? Are we, we're getting into wars again. And we had just come out of like the nineties, which was as close history as we've, as I think we've ever gotten, you know, we had Rugrats and like Doug on Nickelodeon and shit. And then you had like Clarissa explains it all. And like music was still pretty good, even though capitalism was still really bad, you know, and all auditions just kept killing themselves, but like totally different. A complete shift in the tone of things. And, you know, I've been talking for a while. Let me just, for the most part, we know how this goes, right? Bush and his administration make some hugely boneheaded decisions to increase troops in Afghanistan and Iraq. There's not a plan in Iraq at all. And what starts happening is we start destabilizing the entire region. Um, one of the things that we did is the power, uh, when we went in there and we got rid of Saddam Hussein, and this is before he was found and killed, but when we went in there, uh, it was, I forget who, fuck, who the Bush appoint? Bush appointed some guy to run policy in Iraq who had like no experience to do it. And he gets in there, and the first thing he does is that everyone who is involved in any way in Saddam Hussein's party, right? In party, not like necessarily his direct administration, but just the same political party is just ousted from government, right? Just completely, they're, they're, you're gone. Hey, are you in the military and you are in Saddam Hussein's party? You're gone. Dismisses military forces, dismisses all the administrators. You, you all know how many fucking bureaucrats it takes to run some shit. Have you ever ridden a train? Like just the amount of people it takes to run a train, do the tracks, do all of that. Think of all these people who are just gone from government. You know, the, I mean, look at what's happening in Mississippi right now with their inability to have water because, you know, that's for different reasons, but, but the people that would be needed to run that water plant and get it up and going again. Imagine just firing all of them. And not accounting for where they're going to go, what they're going to do. But that's what we did when we went to Iraq. So now we go to Iraq and it turns out that most of the people who were in those positions were part of Saddam Hussein's party because, duh, he's like a dictator. Who the fuck else, what other option do they have but to be in that party? You know what I mean? So it's like all of them are gone. And turns out they didn't like that very much. And so they start, the military people, who are all dismissed, start 
engaging in armed insurrections. So we literally create the enemy army in a war that we didn't even need to be in, in a country that we didn't even need to be in. From our policy decisions, we're going over there to fight for freedom and democracy. We literally destabilize the country and then make them or, or create the conditions for them to attack us. That's what was happening. But meanwhile, you better not fucking say that in the media. You better not say it in the media, at least not through 2004, because we are, you know, you can't be anti-patriotic. What about 9-11? What about 9-11? What about 9-11? You know, Bush passes what? The Patriot Act, which says, hey, everybody, we can look at everything that you do in the name of freedom. Your phone calls, your emails, your everything else, the NSA, the CIA, we're all just going to look at every single detail of your life from now on because patriotism. So you can imagine that doesn't really create a good environment for dissent either. But there are some people, there are some heroes, really, who try to show us while and all this is happening and the administration is still telling us that the war is going great. You start to get these heroes who start leaking information, right? People like Chelsea Manning, who leaked this information. I think it was to Glenn Greenwald, actually, which, again, kind of shout out to Glenn Greenwald here, who has been at the forefront of some pretty impressive shit during this time. One of the few voices during this time that was actually speaking out hard against this. But Chelsea Manning leaks with, I think, with Julian Assange, some uh, footage of just a a U.S. attack helicopter just killing a bunch of civilians, accidentally, but killing a bunch of civilians, you know. We see that. It starts to create a little dissent here. So immediately, Chelsea Manning's jailed. Assange is on the run, still on the run to this day, still coming back for just trying to tell people the truth about what was happening, what their government was doing while their government lied to them. You had Edward Snowden talk about the degree of which people were being spied on. Edward Snowden's still out of the country, hasn't been pardoned. You know, Obama could have done that too. And let's get to Obama because we all kind of know how the Bush shit turned out. It was a fucking shit show. And Obama comes up in politics because of the shit show that was the war in Iraq and Afghanistan. Obama would not be president had it not been for those wars. Let me tell you, because he came out said he was anti-war, he was anti these wars, was campaigning about these people, your leaders basically took you into these wars and they were unjust, but we could change it. I'm going to close Guantanamo Bay. I'm going to get us out of Iraq and Afghanistan. I'm going to be, we're going to return America back to, we're going to return our policy back to like making, kind of making America great again in a way, honestly. And that kind of hope and change, you know, when you looked at his record, it seemed like that might be true. He hadn't been a senator for long, but he, he voted against the invasion in Iraq. One of the few people who actually did. So we're investing all of our hopes in this guy. And when I say we were investing our hopes in him, let me tell you that when he was elected president, the partying that people did that night and the hope that people had for him Dog, he got a Nobel Peace Prize before he did anything. He got the fucking Nobel Peace Prize for the promise 
to end the wars. And we should have known when he accepted his peace prize that something was off. Because I went back and looked at that speech that he gave, the accepted speech for the Nobel Peace Prize. He's talking about how the Afghanistan war is a just war. And guess what he fucking says? He says, evil does exist in the world. Evil exists. And sometimes you have to fight. Would we have been able to be nonviolent against Hitler and the Third Reich? What would have happened if we tried nonviolence against Hitler and the Third Reich? In the context of winning a Nobel Peace Prize, the amount this nigga is talking about war, holy fuck, dog. Like, it is alarming. Go back and watch that. If you want to just look at sort of how crazy this environment was, go back and take a look at that speech. This is Barack Obama winning a Nobel Peace Prize talking about the necessity for America's war and the just how it was a just war. So where do we go from there? Okay, Obama's elected. There's still there's still hope for him. We're still hoping. Signs an executive order to close Guantanamo Bay. That was one of his campaign promises. But turns out when you torture a bunch of people, you can't bring them to somewhere now, to some country that's where they have rights, or now they're going to sue you. You know, now there's going to be actual consequences for your torturing of people. And Congress is not having it. Congress has a vote. I forgot about this to basically overturn Obama's executive order to close Guantanamo Bay. So these motherfuckers are doubling down and saying, no, we're going to keep it open. No, we're going to continue waterboarding people. And this is despite, look, we had pictures of us. I think it was in Afghanistan. It was Iraq, actually, of like our soldiers, like making these men get naked and sodomizing them with brooms, like just prisoners. They're over here sexually assaulting Iraqi prisoners with their faces in it, you know, Americans. These, these people who are supposed to believe in freedom, these people who are supposed to believe in liberating the people. And this is what they're doing, right? And now you have a Congress that is refusing to close Guantanamo Bay because they think, what, that it's good that we tortured people? It's good that we have these prisoners? So I'm not saying Obama didn't have any sort of, uh, you know, he had some resistance. And there were some things that he were, was doing that were, you know, different from Bush. But not really. He withdraws from Iraq. Iraq immediately collapses. I don't know if you remember this. Like, good that he withdrew from Iraq. But I think first he tried a troop surge there. No, I think that was Afghanistan, actually. But he... He withdraws from Iraq. There is no plan in Iraq. There has been no sort of nation building, despite us having already been there for, at this point, going on eight years, right? Nothing had, the region was still so unstable that our withdrawing from Iraq immediately throws it into a, makes it into even more of a fucking circus, okay? The president of Iraq, who, the guy who took over, immediately, he was like a, a Shiite or a Sunni. I think he was a Shiite. And his vice president was a Sunni. And Shiites and Sunnis, they got beef. At least in a lot of different places, there's beef between them. But the president of Iraq, as soon as we withdraw, 
as soon as the U.S. troops withdraw, he arrests the vice president, who's like the Sunni, <laughs> arrests him. And then they start taking over like the government. By the next day or the, by that week, the palace of, uh, you know, the royal palace in Iraq is being looted. People are like, it's chaos in the streets. It's fucking chaos. And it gets so chaotic. It's to the point that ISIS develops. No shit. The reason ISIS and ISIL exist is because bin Laden sees the chaos in Iraq and Afghanistan or in, in Iraq sends over a bunch of fucking Al Qaeda over there to sneak across the borders. There is no border security there because we already dismissed the military people who were in Saudi, uh, who, I'm sorry, who were in Saddam Hussein's party. So there's no border control. They could just walk right into the country and they start engaging in hit and run tactics to escalate tensions between Sunni and Shiites. They're, they're literally trying to just blow this powder keg up. They're doing what terrorists do, baby. And we're creating the perfect grounds for them to just do terrorist shit. So in the midst of all this shit, ISIL and ISIS become a thing in Iraq. And Obama is forced to send more troops back to the region to try to stabilize the country. What a fucking mess. And this is billions of dollars and millions and millions and millions or, or, or hundreds of thousands of lives. We're, the death toll, too. And I'm not just talking about, like, U.S. troops. U.S. troops, we lost, what, something like 3,000, which is a lot. But when you look at death toll for that region, it hits the millions, okay, of people. Uh, and when you think of the fact that neither of these wars were fucking necessary, that that should piss you off. That should make you understand a little more of why people felt so hopeless about the United States government or why they feel so hopeless and betrayed by the government today and by the media today, okay? Because all of this stuff was being sold to people. People are making fucking shitty country music songs about it. And everything going on there is a mess. And Obama is messing it up just as badly. And here's the thing, because he does not get off the hook at all. Obama escalates troops in Afghanistan. It doesn't work. And then because he knows that he can't withdraw, because if he was if he withdraws and there have been different people analyzing this from different angles, but there's a lot of reasons or a lot of reasons people think Obama didn't withdraw one because both of those regions were going to collapse and he was going to be blamed for it. And you need to win reelection. Two, if you withdraw and then another terrorist attack happens, you'll be blamed for it. And then you need to win re-election. Three, you need to win re-election. And it's, it's interesting because, like, you start to see how fucking ridiculous it is that a war, the continuation of a war, whether it's popular or not, like, that being a consideration for you so that you can win re-election, how ridiculous that is, how, how unjust that is, how, like... What are you doing? Lead. For God's sakes, lead. If people put you there for hope and change, have the guts to just do it. Just do it. Like, what are you doing? You're doing the same shit. Why is your reelection or your poll numbers, what, why is that a consideration when we're fucking killing people and our people are getting killed for nothing? And speaking of which... Obama decides to thread this needle 
because our people are getting killed in Afghanistan and Iraq still, still, when he's in there. And so Obama comes up with this great idea. You're going to love this, okay? And it's something that he actually took from Bush. So we know it's going to be a great idea because Bush obviously was doing some great things in office. Obama does not knows that losing American troops, very bad for your poll numbers, but also knows that he needs to stabilize the region because the region is unstable. The only thing keeping the region any semblance of stable is killing a bunch of people who are maybe not even causing the stability problems, just killing people, going over there and doing that. So Obama looks at Bush's drone program and increases it like 10 or 20-fold. Drones, you know, these unmanned, basically planes that can bomb people, completely detached, you know, you don't even have to have the pilot, you don't even have to pay for the pilot's PTSD treatment afterward. It's perfect. You have an unmanned vehicle, no American's going to die. Well, you would think that. No American piloting the drone's going to die. So you're not going to lose any soldiers. But you know what you could do if you're Obama? You can use that drone to extrajudicially execute American citizens who have connections to terror or who have claimed connections to terror. And Obama, Obama increases drone strikes heavy. I don't want to say it was 200 times more. I, I should have pulled up the statistic for this, but I didn't know I was going to go down this route. I apologize. But Obama increases drone strikes like we've never seen before, ever. Unprecedented. He's killing, killing, killing with these drones. And apparently, I didn't know this, but I watched a documentary about it. Uh, Obama was reviewing this drone, these drone strike. Uh, I don't know if it was a footage or if it was the the report every morning, right? So the military would say, hey, we have these people who are suspected of terrorism in this area. Do you approve the drone strike? We're going to kill maybe 15, 20 people in this area, in this building. And Obama was just saying, yeah, do it, do it, do it, do it over and over again. And again, some of this was for American citizens who are supposed to have rights, who are supposed to you know, be innocent until proven guilty, who are supposed to be exposed to a, a criminal justice system. And while we're doing this, we're still trying to pretend like we're the good guys. We're still out there talking to people about freedom and democracy and evil, like fucking schmucks, okay? And at this point, the populace is catching on because I think the, the, the straw that really broke the camel's back for a lot of people, at least of my generation, is they look at Obama and they see him increasing drone strikes, escalating the war, and how empty his promises are. Meanwhile, he's bailing out Wall Street. He's bailing out the banks. And we are still struggling. And that's when the illusion is sort of shattered of like, oh, oh, okay. So this is just, this is just America now. So it wasn't just a Bush thing. And Bush deserves, again, so much of this blame. And Cheney... I, I sometimes wish there is a hell because holy shit, he's going to be running it. You know, actually, you know, I don't want there to be a hell because my God, if there is, he's, he's, it's, he's literally the devil. All right. Like I, I don't say that lightly, but we thought it was just them, right? 
Like we thought it was just them and that the hope and change man who by him just being the first black president represented such a departure from the standard, from the norm, from what we had grown accustomed to, the violence, the imperialism, the lies. We thought he was different. And when we saw this happening again under his watch, and then he's going to the White House Correspondents' Dinner and being cool as a fucking cucumber. What a nice joke. And look, he's funny. He's a the guy can talk. He can present. He can carry himself. No question about that. But holy shit, dude. What are we doing? Where is the change? Where is the hope? And that continues on for the entirety of Obama's presidency. Uh, Guantanamo Bay is still open today. The distrust that we have for our politicians has grown because Obama, it feels like we were tricked by Obama. It feels like we were fooled. And we were. It, it, Obama is, if you, want, if you want to know Obama's presidency more than anything, I would just look at that Nobel Peace Prize speech because it was a bunch of people giving him the Nobel Peace Prize and him talking about how he was going to be doing some killing because some people just need to be killed. That's the dissonance that's created. And people don't understand that Obama was picked by so many voters as an outside candidate, as someone who represented a change from the system. And that is the same vote that a lot of people made for Trump, is that this guy is different. He at least doesn't represent the system that has lied to me for 20 years, a system where my brother or my, my, my son or my daughter or whatever died in this fucking war that meant nothing. And that as soon as we pull out of both countries, they immediately collapse. And now there are probably more terrorists there. We literally like when all of that is unnecessary and the only all the money we spent, all the taxpayer dollars, the trillions of dollars we spent are in the hands of companies that used to be run by one of the people who is the principal architect of us getting into the war in the first place. And Dick Cheney. Like, do you understand how, like, I don't need to tell all of you this, but I just hope that, like, if, if, you know, if this is the last day on Earth and then aliens come find the call-in app and they're trying to get, like, a history of the United States or whatever and they just happen to click on this fucking call-in whenever I post it, I hope this gives them a sense of how did we get to where we were at today? How did we elect someone like Donald Trump? How did we... How did we get to the point to where most people agree with just a statement, fake news, right? Most people have such a distrust for institutions in the United States, the CIA, the FBI, all of them. And, it, and, and the answer is just, it keeps going back to 9-11. Look, we could talk about Reaganomics and we could talk about how so much of those trade policies and the neoliberalism and Clinton led us to the economic conditions in a large way of where we're at today. And I will not debate anyone on that. I think that's a fine analysis. But when it comes to why do people have no faith in like democracy? Why do people poo-poo you whenever you talk about reformism? Or reforming the system from the inside? It's because we've seen Basically, you know, almost my entire life, 
we've seen the failures of that same system and how they failed, how we've wound with blood on our hands for things that were completely unnecessary for the fact, man, sorry, I'm just dog. When I tell you, I get so fucking mad every time I see Ted Cruz talk about like every time I have to see that fucking clip of him talking about, I don't know. I don't know if sand can glow in the dark, but we're going to find out. I get so, I get so fucking mad because making sand glow in the dark for no fucking reason, but our own fear and arrogance was American foreign policy for the last two plus decades And that, it didn't have to be that way. And the people that put us in that position, I, I don't know, I don't want to get hyperbolic, but I honestly don't know how they sleep at night. I don't. Look, I don't like I don't like the fact that I see so many people now that so many young people in particular who weren't even born when 9/11 happened are so disenchanted with the system and disillusioned and I, I you know that doesn't make me feel good but that's when you go back to just 9/11 and especially when you take when you take in, you know, Osama bin Laden's plan with it you have this terrorist attack this cowardly terrorist attack on civilians u.s civilians and this devastation that happens and this fear that sets in and the guy's whole plan was to destabilize america was to put them into wars where they would overspend and overextend themselves was to create internal divisions and was to make everyone afraid and look what happened. We fell right into that fucking trap. The greatest nation in the world. Right? The greatest nation in the world. And we went there willingly. We went there willingly. And when people, you know, talk about Liz Cheney running for president, when you have these brain-dead, dumbass, neoliberal-ass takes about like the Lincoln Project, you know, a lot of these people talking about, well, you know, we have to unite against Trump because Trump is a unique evil. Look, I agree Trump is a unique evil, but not for the reasons you think he is. Liberal media or whoever, I don't want to say liberal media, I sound like fucking Rush Limbaugh or something right now. But like, you know, for for the mainstream heads who talk about like Liz Cheney being a hero or or, you know, want to show you that that campaign ad with Dick Cheney talking about Trump. How fucking dare Dick Cheney show his goddamn motherfucking face on television? You piece of shit. You fucking scared ass, dumbass piece of shit. Like, sorry, I'm, I, I, I shouldn't be cursing like that. I shouldn't be like, but what the fuck does he think he's doing? What fucking moral authority does he have to stand up here and say shit about anything? 
Anyway. Look. Biden gets in the office, or Trump gets in the office, he's talking about, and people forget, Trump was talking about Muslims, this and that, a lot of the whole same old song and dance that had become, you know, like the greatest hits since 9-11. Talk about radical Islam, talk about this. And then Trump just starts to use the same rhetoric for, you know, Antifa. You know, it's the same shit. The same shit he ran on, only now instead of Muslims, it's Antifa. It's the same words. He just sees the trend. He understands it. He knows he's an outsider and people want something different. And it's actually kind of nice to people that this guy, this Trump guy, pisses off the establishment types because they're trying to get back at those establishment types, too, who lied to them. Who led them into a war, who made America what it is today. And look, I don't blame them for wanting to get back at the establishment types. I mean, Trump is not it. (laughs) You know, obviously. Trump is just a fucking con man egotist who does not give a shit about a single one of his supporters and never will. He would walk right over you. He wouldn't even look at you if you're under a bridge, begging, if you're doing anything. He doesn't even he doesn't give a fuck about you. He doesn't. But this is off the right people, and America really hasn't forgotten what's happened since 9-11. So when, you know, when people say never forget, I look, it used to be talking about the tragedy. I say never forget how we got here, okay? Because it's pretty clear to anyone who's been here, you don't even have to be involved in politics. You don't even have to pay attention. You know, because you live this shit. And for those of you who, who didn't get to live through this shit or live it, I'm telling you, the vibes that you're feeling are correct, But they didn't used to be like this. America had always been imperialist. America had always been whatever. But like as something really snapped after 9-11, something really fucking snapped in the collective American psyche. And it wasn't really just us. It was like, I mean, like the leadership class in particular. But that's where we're at today. And look, I... People still don't have faith in the system. I have a hard time telling them they should have faith in the system. I mean, one of the people who voted to get us into Iraq and Afghanistan is the president right now. Granted, he did withdraw from Afghanistan. But again, that's that should have been done years and years ago. I respect the man for getting out of there. I respect that decision. But look, it collapsed again. Just like Iraq did, you know, and and here's this collapsed ass place. And now the same guy is denying releasing the funds for the Afghanistan government funds that we seized upon like or froze upon withdrawing. And now look what's happening. A bunch of Afghani, Afghani people who have no connection to the Taliban, who are just people are starving because we want to feel good about 9-11. We want to feel good about the fucking fucked up policy decisions we made. So guess what we're going to do again? We're going to hurt the very same people we've been hurting this whole fucking time because we haven't learned anything. If Biden had actually learned something about this whole shit, about this whole debacle, he would release those funds immediately. They've suffered enough, for God's sakes. 
where do we go from here? I don't know. It can't, we look, eventually we'll run out of politicians who were alive during these events. Um, but I, I, the landscape doesn't look good. I'll say that. The, the landscape doesn't look good. It doesn't change the fact that I'm not going to disengage just because, you know what, fuck it. Like, I don't, it doesn't matter if the landscape looks good or not. I, I think it's worth believing that it can be better again. And maybe it was nostalgia or maybe it was like, I don't know, maybe it's just my own naivete from my childhood, but you know, things weren't always this bad. And if they weren't always this bad, then maybe they can get better again. Anyway, that's that's really all I got to say about about that. I got some callers. Holy shit, I've been talking for an hour. Okay, <laughs> thank you all for being here. Uh, let's take some callers. Let's 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 go down memory lane. Karen, go ahead and unmute yourself. Welcome to the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. Hey, bud, how you doing? I'm doing okay. How are you? I kind of joined late. Did you have callers earlier or are, is this the first time you were taking callers? So this far? is, this is actually the first time. Yeah. I was oh, just, okay. I was giving a, uh, my own brief history of how we got to where we're at and nine 11 and how it changed things. So okay, uh, that's what I, that's when I joined. I just was mostly joining to commi- commiserate with you. I don't, I'm older oh, than thanks. you, I assume, <laughs> but <laughs> I, but I mean, I, growing up and being you know a young person in the 90s I guess I thought things were fine and I didn't in my head I guess I thought there was a golden age even though when you like look back now that I read history and know different things that actually were happening in the 70s 80s and 90s (laughs) um, I don't know that there ever was a golden time during our lifetimes but um, I think we but it did feel like things changed Mostly because we were so, oh, I, here, here, I have a story, a little story. And I wonder if your mom is on the call and I wonder if she felt the same thing. I was, I, my son was born, you know, as the Iraq war was starting. And like he, he was born the day that Saddam Hussein's um, statue fell. I don't know if anybody remembers that, but like on the TV, like there was this big thing. It's like, oh, hey, they took Baghdad. They took down the two. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I'm recovering from childbirth. But I remember. Oh, congrats! Congratulations! Oh, yes. at, at at that time, twenty or nineteen years ago. Yes. Okay. <laughs> a long time ago. No, a long Sorry. time ago. I'm yeah, saying just, on that yeah. day. On that day, yeah. that's when he was born. And I wonder if your mom would remember or feel the same way. Like my biggest fear the whole time was like, my boys are gonna grow up, and they're gonna go have to fight this. You know. Yeah. And um, I remember that just being the biggest thing that I just thought about. And I watched CNN like non-stop you know we had internet but it was dial up it's not like I was on online you know that's CNN is what you watched you know yeah. and that's how you stayed connected and you watched it all the time and um I just it was just so all-consuming and uh um, yeah and I remember the I remember watching when um Bush like brought every single member of Congress into like some sort of secret meeting 
you know, before that, there were all these people who claimed to be anti-war, you know, that they were like going to vote against, you know, the, the whatever it was that they were going to pass to allow the um, preemptive strikes, you know. And yeah. there was like this meeting. I don't know if anybody remembers this, where everybody was brought in, and when they all left, supposedly they were, they were all grave and very serious. And then was it Bernie? Was he the only one who voted against? The preemptive um, strike—I can't remember—but er, suddenly everybody, like everything, changed. They were no yeah. longer there. Were no longer those anti-war voices. Right. And I remember my father saying, "Oh, well, they must have really learned something. You know, they must have heard something really important that changed their mind. I'll bet it's really dangerous." And in my head, all I thought was, "No, they probably had a speech about how you're going to get in line, and these are the reasons why you're going to get in line." Yeah. You know. There was probably something sinister I, in my head. I was listening to a podcast that had Vijay Prashad on it today, and he was talking yeah. about how all the major um, broadcasting networks in the U.S. have funding or are owned by weapons manufacturers, which I did not know that. Did you know that? I, 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 I didn't know that in particular, but I'm not surprised. I mean, look, they... I do know that like 97% of the money that we spent on, I think it's 97 or 93% of the money we spent in Iraq and Afghanistan, the profits of the, that money spent went directly to weapons manufacturers, right? To yeah. people like Halliburton, Lockheed Martin, the, and the rest, Boeing. And, and we spent trillions of dollars, right? And so I think we continue, don't we? I mean, obviously we Ukraine do. Well, and everything else. See, one of the reasons with Ukraine that I, I think we can all agree that it's it's not good to be invaded as a country. That it's that it that nations deserve to be sovereign. I think we can agree with that. But one of the reasons why I worry hard about Ukraine is we just got out of a proxy war that lasted twenty years, and here we are doing the exact same thing again. Maybe we're not bringing troops in there, but uh, with the expansion of and, – and, and look, the conditions too, with the expansion of NATO and sort of the things that sort of created the conditions for Russia to feel like it had to start a war, uh, I don't know if we learned any lessons from that. And seeing that happen again, it's, it's – I don't know. It is, it is really disheartening. I don't think we have learned any lessons. I just, I just don't think we have. <laughs> so. At least, at least you have, and at least I have. You know, like I'm, I'm trying to find the That's silver true. lining here. I mean, like, look, that, like, yes. I, I, if nothing else, and maybe it's just silver lining, but if nothing else, people are at least more skeptical of this shit, and I don't know. That's a lot of silver lining. It's a lot of I'm, I'm really looking for it. Oh, good. Good golly. Where is that silver lining? I really need it. Um, <laughs> well, I just yeah. wanted to hop on and com commiserate really quick. But um, anyway. I hope yeah, I appreciate it, Karen. Oh, yeah. I always love hearing from you. And I, I love your backgrounds. They're the best. The soundscapes. Yes, are I'm always, always walking great. when I call. Yep. <laughs> All right. We'll talk later. Bye. All right. Bye. Who next up? Oh, it's Amanda. Hey, Amanda. How are you doing? You can go ahead and uh, unmute yourself and then... 
I did not I did not know I was next. I thought somebody else was in line. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you fine. How are you? I am I'm doing better than you. You're sounding kinda dejected. I kinda wanted to like call in and say something funny and the only things I could think of were just dumb. Yeah. So you know. I feel you though. You know it gets frustrating gets frustrating right yeah yeah for sure it does but so what do you think so what do you think that we can do to change this because there's i mean this is the thing there's way more of us than there are of them and we are fucking smart even even if you don't think that that colin is a little bit skewed country is ready for change we just don't know how to do it because people on the left don't like violence. You know, we believe Martin Luther King and, you know, pacifism and shit. I don't want to get my nose broke. I'm not an idiot, right? I don't want to sign up yeah. for that. But but, but their thing, here's here's the thing. Was to stay where you live? Was it nice? You know, it was pretty nice. It was. Yeah? Did you take a walk today? Yeah. Did you go outside at all today? Yeah. I mean, after this, I'm going to take a walk. Okay, <laughs> you walk are. Okay. This, yeah. okay, that's that's good walks. Walks are a good yeah. thing. I fully support walking. And and here's the other thing. So, so you remember when Trump first got into office and it was like, everybody was like, oh, this fucking fool, he can't even read. Remember that me? Remember that thing? Yeah. Right at the beginning, yeah. people were like convinced. I don't know. Maybe John Oliver did a thing on it. I don't know. Like convinced that he couldn't read, right? And like how he was like such a germaphobe, which is really funny these days considering COVID, right? But like he was a germaphobe, and so that was like why people said, why would he be out with some porn star chick, and why would he? Why would he pay? money for sex if he's a germaphobe right yeah. follow my logic yeah. here I mean like I, I totally get the but follow my logic sex, here but, okay but okay, you know I'm, what I'm here's, here's the thing porn stars are the most frequently tested for STDs mm -hmm. on the planet so if you want to ride raw excuse my friend can you, you explain what writing raw is? Star. Uh, but but can you explain what writing raw is? I've never. Why never are you trying to embarrass me right now? <laughs> <laughs> what is? Why that? are you what trying to embarrass okay. me right now? Because you know your mother knows what that means. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> She's a woman. Oh, damn! My God! Please leave my poor mother out of this. She's never had sex in her life. It's absolutely uh, impossible. Uh, uh, <laughs> hey, do you have the, we you're the one that took it there, man. <laughs> yeah, we were all conceived so, through immaculate conception. So, uh. so, so, well, I'm just saying, I'm just saying that it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility. If Trump was going to pay for sex, he'd pay for sex. It, he'd and and have sex out a condom. It would be with a porn star because they get tested every other fucking day because that's part of the industry. It's required. Yeah. So you know they're clean. It's not like hiring somebody even out out you know out front of my house. <laughs> so wait, I forget how we got to this. Were we just, do we just, 
I was what? just changing the subject. <laughs> oh, it's like, it's like I'm you just waiting lead, to see how this you loops back. You didn't lead us here because the notes that I had written down just would have got you more worked up. So there was no reason to go there. That's okay. <laughs> Look, I got worked up. I actually got it out of my system. Every That's once good. in a while, it's good. It's good to get it no, out of your system, you know. It's cleansing, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Namaste, yeah. yes, for like sure. Like fire, it's you important. know, just burn it out. I love watching it, man. As long as I know that's what's happening, it's like it's like I don't mind. I don't mind watching things as long as I know everybody's going to be safe at the end. <laughs> yeah, I'm good. No, I'm, I'm okay too, to get I'm, excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. Like I'm, I'm like, you know, I think it's kind of cool. I don't, I don't know when this happened. Probably in the last couple of years, but I've just kind of adopted a philosophy. Like, if if everything is going to, you know, it, it things can get really existential. We're living in very yes. existential times. Yes. When we see, you know, the people who are in charge of the, you know, quote unquote, the most powerful nation in the world or whatever the fuck, and they seem unable to meet the moment too, that adds to the existential nature of things. And then you see sort of corporate yes. greed and these influences that are contributing to things like global warming and all this stuff. It starts to feel overwhelming, but I've just come to the realization over the last year and a half or two years, really, that... I just, if everything's going to, if, if everything, if it's inevitable, that's fine. Okay. If collapse and everything is inevitable, cool, but I'm going to be here for it. I'm going to be here and I'm going to be fighting against it either way, because I think that I, it's like Albert Camus, you know, the, the myth of Sisyphus. Mm, have you ever heard, have you heard yes, of that? Yes. It's his whole, you know, but, but please expound so that if there is somebody else, not know. Yeah. So Albert Camus thinks that he was, a, I think, a French uh, philosopher who wrote a paper called The Myth of Sisyphus or like an essay. And and the, the basic gist of it is it's based off of Sisyphus from um, Greek mythology. And Sisyphus was a king who, you know, when he died, he was punished with the punishment of having to roll a boulder up a, a large hill or a mountain. So at the beginning of every day, he'd wake up and to roll this boulder all the, all the way up the mountain, and he had to get it to the top of the mountain, and that was his punishment. But every day, right before he got it to the top, the boulder would roll back down the hill, and he's basically, you know, essentially he has to do this for He has to get up every morning, roll the same fucking boulder up this hill every single day, and watch it roll down, roll down. His task is pointless, Right. And Albert Camus talked about how this is kind of like that there's one only one real philosophical question, and that is the question of suicide, right? What is it that compels someone to continue to live? And he says there are a couple ways you can go with this. One is if you realize that your life is like Sisyphus, rolling the life the rock up the hill over and over and over again to no avail, and you find nothing else, or you 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 choose to accept that as a reality or you could choose not to accept that as a reality and believe that there's something else afterwards or basically engage in like what he calls fantastical thinking or what, what he alludes to as fantastical thinking, right? You can find religion, you can find God. You could say, you know, right now my life is hard and I'm rolling this roll, but God's got me and God's got me. And when I die, God's got me. And part of this, you know, like maybe, but it's a fantasy to some extent, right? You don't know. No one fucking knows. Idea. And people like to say they know and they don't, but they don't. And so, you know, okay. And Albert Camus says, all right, that's actually okay because it at least keeps you living, but you're not really acknowledging the reality of your situation as it is. 
And then he says, if you acknowledge the reality of your situation as it is, you really have two options. One is to lose yourself in the existentialism of it all and commit suicide, to try to escape, to try to stop rolling the rock up the hill. And the other is to acknowledge that rolling the rock up the hill is futile, but understanding its futility and understanding that you don't even really have a, that your only other choice basically is suicide. You, you basically make the choice. You decide, okay, I am choosing then in rolling the rock up the hill. I am going to be a willing participant in that. In fact, like, fuck it. Like, I know this is futile, but I'm going to do it anyway. And your mind really doesn't have that choice. Once you realize that it's futile, but you still choose to do it anyway, suddenly you've given a meaningful choice to a meaningless act. The, 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 the act that you choose to confront inevitability face forward with like, all right, fuck it. The fact that you just choose to do that is kind of punk rock. And Albert Camus says that at the end of the, of the, of the essay, you know, or somewhere along the lines, he says, one must imagine Sisyphus happy. You know, he's happy to roll this fucking rock up this hill because he understands the inevitability or the, the, the futility of the task, but chooses to do it anyway. And in that choice, there's meaning. And, you know, I know some people would be like, boo, or be like, you know, that's fucking, it's whatever. But I think there is boo. something badass about that. Oh, <laughs> 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 well, fuck you, Amanda. Fuck you. No, I'm just no I, I, I think there's something actually... I, you know, I think there's I think something badass look about around, doing it. You got to look around you while you're pushing the rock up that hill because there might be people nearby that can, like, at least give you moral support. You got to yeah. look around because as you get the rock higher, you might be more tired. But fuck, the view's got to be better, right? So it's about yeah. it's about how you understand the story going forward and your role in it because. It brings me no peace to think about all the bullshit that's been going on for who knows how long now. And yeah. and I w was an elected official, local, but you know it's there. It, it's a thing. There's, I mean, the thing is though, if you had a good day today, if you had a good rant here on call in. And if you go to bed tonight with a stomach full and a smile on your face a little bit, thinking about, why did Amanda talk about Trump not liking condoms? <laughs> yeah. And life is not that bad for you, which I know you want it to be good for everybody, but you can't change anybody sure. but yourself. Sure. But I think, you know, like, I, I, I think, you know, like, I like my life a lot. I like a lot of what's yeah. going on right now. I have a lot, like if we were just chatting it up and talking like some shit, like there's yeah. some pretty exciting things going on right now with your boy, you know, like I'm, yeah, I'm cool. enjoying it, but I, I, it does make me look part of the reason why my politics are what they are is I, I think that as many people as possible on this earth should have the ability, should have the opportunity to enjoy their lives and enjoy their communities and to live and to, you know, yeah. grow and to discover things and to fuck raw or un or or you know condomed or whatever right like like right. that i want that for people because i just think it's it, it's just fair and it would lead to more people i don't know like it sucks to see people who are sad and fucking lonely sure. and shit is shitty like that sucks so when i think it of stuff like iraq like and afghanistan enough. yeah 
Yeah, yeah, there is. Well, that's the thing. You know, if we have the means to eliminate scarcity, especially in a lot of these markets like housing or or when it comes to food, you know, these things to where we literally have the production capacity to to eliminate scarcity for those things. We have enough. We could build enough houses for people. We could actually provide enough people with food and they would actually be better able to participate in society and in life with that. It would probably end up giving us, you know, paying off on the back end a lot, right? Especially when you get into like sociology and criminology and stuff like that. And like a lot of the motivators for, for sure. people even committing crimes are because they don't have these things, right? But so, you know, when I think about that and when I think about how fucking ass backwards some of our foreign policy decisions have made, how crazy it is that people still want to talk about terrorism is we have to wipe it off the planet and yeah. do it by bombing and making sand glow in the dark. That makes me want to punch the living shit out of Ted Cruz's dumb big head. Like, I don't know what it is that gets me about that statement, but fuck this guy, man. Like, what are you talking about? These We're talking about areas where people are already struggling hard and you have dehumanized them to such a point and you believe them to be so evil that you believe your hatred of them to be righteous. And it's like, you are not righteous. You're fucking cunt dude i'm so sorry mom i'm sorry i told you i was going to try to curse less on this podcast but i cannot with ted cruz okay ted i i just cannot with people like that because it's so, like so, sorry just so gets me. so let me just let me just pull you back off the ledge a little bit because i really appreciate your thoughtfulness when you're not on a giant rant i really do i i like that about you a lot yeah, I'm I appreciate sorry. your in- no. Don't apologize for being <laughs> you, babe. That's what it is. I'm just saying. Here's why I want to change the subject. I was listening yeah. to a really, really far out podcast called Revolutionary Re- Left Radio, and it, mm. I don't know if it, people are are familiar with this, but I, I've only listened to like one or two episodes. But the episode today, dude, this this guy blew my mind. He was talking about um, materialistic. Or historic historic materialism. Yeah, historical materialism. We, yes, thank you. So this is something that you're aware of. I'm sorry. Now yeah. I'm just saying. Look how no, good no, no. I am. What I just discovered. It was really an interesting concept. Can you can yeah. you talk about it a little bit from what you yeah. know? So historical materialism, for the most part, is like the foundation of most Marxism, right? So uh, dialectical materialism. It comes from dialectics, and this is from what's his name? Is it Hegel or Hegel? who basically had this idea that you take two contradicting viewpoints of a subject um, and through examining those two opposing sort of contradictory statements, you can look at the commonalities or look at the, the things, the, the, the spaces in between those subjects to come to something that is actually true. Uh, right. Um, that's dialectics, right? And it gets pretty heady, especially with Hegel. It's it's very heady. Right. It's hard to understand. But historical material is basically looking at history as a – not necessarily like a struggle, but looking at the diametrically sort of opposed sort of uh, shapers of history between uh, our concepts and, or our, our people and the forces of labor and the means of production. So right. a lot of history – when you look at it, for, so, so for example, the best example probably is like feudalism and the change from feudalism into capitalism and how did that come to be and how did under right. capitalism 
how did certain workers' rights come to be under capital? You could actually make a really good argument by examining that the change in the forces of production and the way that it gave uh, laborers different types of leverage or that it gave the hands of lordships and the king and the church, because now you had these uh, massive productive forces that can eliminate parts of scarcity that are also having to lead you to depend on labor forces to be in the factory for a long time, which if you want to make the capital from that, you end up having to give a little bit of, uh, you know, like a little bit of grace or a little bit of like weekends or a little bit of like, uh, I don't know, like uh, like some concessions to the laborers who are needed to be in that factory so that you can produce it all, right? That leads to things like the development of, um, you know, like the five day week and the, you know, 40 hour work week. So there's, and and I I think it's almost like, um, it's like critical race theory kind of, sorry. Yeah. Right. So the thing that blew my mind was then he laid over on top of that, that, that we are viewing our reality through colonized and capitalistic lenses. And again, maybe, maybe I'm just baby newbie here, but, but when he talked about having our conception of ourselves separate from other people related to the fact that we make wages in exchange for the value of what we contribute to the community and that the separation between me and you is really a construct of capitalism as a result of the theory of wages. Now, maybe I got right. that wrong. Was that, did I get anything like well, close I, to right? I think it's easier to kind of understand historical materialism when you compare it to something like a great man theory of history. Right. So a lot of capitalists. Right, right, right. Right. Yeah. So but a lot of, a lot of capitalists. about yeah, being separate, that we take it, we, ourselves as separate because we think our, 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 our work and our contributions have individual value because we get individual right. benefit. Yeah. That's yeah, the there's, part that's that blew too. my mind. Yeah. yeah that's, that's the part true. that like, blew my mind. I think, and I wish I could explain historical materialism a little bit better, but it's basically, it's about how historical change I'm comes sure from once I, the, I'm sure once I listen to it a couple of times, I will get it because it sounds kind of yeah. complex, which is well, good. Think of like That's class, what history is, right? History is a change of like, of like class struggle, class struggle and the means and their relation to the means of production, right? So it's really like it. I guess the best way to kind of compare it is a lot of great man theory of history talks about how we have these rights because one day a great man said, I'm going to be benevolent now and treat my workers better. When really a historical materialist would look at how laborers were being mistreated and they had enough and then had a revolt and seized the means of production and did, and that's what led to the sort of capitalist class having to give certain rights and concessions. Um, if that makes any sense, but I'm sure there's, it's been a while since I've read, uh, I mean, I'm reading capital now, but like, good luck understanding that. Cause I have no idea what's going on in that book, but like, I, you know, I read Ingalls. I didn't have an and, opportunity to, I didn't have an opportunity to study that stuff in college. It wasn't really taught in the late eighties and nineties to people who went yeah. and got English degrees, but I'm going I'm to yeah. get off cause Jaw's been waiting for a long time. I really appreciate you indulging me in this weirdness thank you yeah anytime amanda thanks for calling in are you sure anytime (laughs) have a good night (laughs) all right later all right bye all right ja what's up baby you've been waiting so patiently what's happening oh not so patiently i wish i would have been able to hear what the other (laughs) 
Well, I mean, I mean, what I mean by that is I, I just got off the phone with my sister. We ha- have to have a little family meeting about some things. So I didn't oh. hear everything that everyone um, got to say. I, I kind of heard the last uh, 10 minutes of Amanda. But, um, yeah, this was great, um, Vi. This was a – it was a good rehashing. And, you know, I just wanted to talk a little bit about evil. I thought that was such an interesting theme throughout the whole thing. And, and I do remember it just like you said it. And I remember having feelings about it. And it's so interesting also that during that time, well, I want to say when 9-11 happened, I was in the 10th grade. And I remember through that whole time, through the Obama administration, I remember feeling this really strong dissonance with everything that I was seeing and just being like, there is, I literally cannot say anything. I, 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 every, everybody is not just sipping the Kool-Aid, but drinking whole, you know, like just really guzzling it down. We were gulping it. We were gulping the whole shit. And you saw like the couple of people in my high school or a couple of people in, in the circles that I ran in at community college that would say little things and be like, are you sure we should be over there? I don't think there really are um, um, WMDs. Uh, And just people just becoming craven. And so I I just remember what strikes me about that time is my silence. And I don't know if I feel guilty about it or... Bro, we were like, we were kids. Yeah, you know, we like we didn't know what the fuck was going on. That was I d- scary and weird. Like we, we, the attack happens and we're called in for an assembly at school and oh. they're trying to explain that we all have to go home because the, the school might get hit with a plane and That's no one knows, what, you know? Yeah. They're like, we just need to go. There's been some, something's happening and everyone needs to go home. And, you know, I was so dumb. I was like, hell yeah, dude, I get to go home and play some video games and all that. And I remember when I got home, I think my mom was already there. And that was so weird because, you know, we get out early and usually she wouldn't be back until like 6 p.m. or something just from work. And she was already there. So I was sitting there like, whoa, you got to go home, too? What's going on? And, you know, it was just... You lived in Indiana. I was in Southern, no, Southern Illinois. So I was in Southern oh, Illinois, Illinois, which is just, one of those eyes. Yeah. Yeah. I got, I got connected to Indianapolis too, but, but obviously, um, you know, rural Southern Illinois, man, where it was very, I mean, a lot of the put a boot in your ass. It's the American way music is still, still alive and hitting the charts over there. Put but, a boot in your ass. I know. Yeah. Well, I was all the way in Seattle, Washington. So. Oh, um, damn. How was that? You know, I we sat. You know, at the high school that I went to, Nathan Hale. We sat and talked about it all day. We watched it on the telly, and right, we had a lot. You know, everyone talked about their feelings for weeks. Actually, it seemed like you know the first two weeks, like we literally didn't do anything else. Much of anything else is just like I don't know. Talk about that especially in history class. And I actually had had an, uh, an American government class at the time too. So that was very interesting. But, you know, I think so yeah. much of my silence during that whole time was really not having a really firm grasp on the inner workings of our government and how <laughs> I, I remember watching in history class, wag the dog. And hmm. yeah, 
it's just so it's what we're looking at still today is just exactly that it's i i can't during your speech rant um, yeah, just call it, call, it, call it the rant that it was. <laughs> that was very nice of you. You're like, during your r- speech, <laughs> you were... <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. It was, it was yeah. really good. It was riveting. And oh, I, I oh, do you with you for the passion for which you speak about these things. I, it's, it's wonderful to hear. Um, but I, got I, a lot, just, I got a lot of hormones. <laughs> it's good. It's good to got a lot of emotions. I'm getting, I'm getting old, so I'm just like <laughs> melting into the soil. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, what was I going to say? I, I don't even remember what I was going to say, but it, it was moral. You, you, you have this overlay of sometimes you, you, you overlay this lens of morality, some sort of relative morality that comes from somewhere onto mm-hmm. the system and onto the players in the system. Um, and I just really don't think that exists there. There is literally no room for it. Not even like when I when I look at when people even say remotely moral things, like for instance, talking about good and evil, and and talking about the yeah. existence of evil in the world, while doing completely hypocritical things and not even being able to self reflect enough. I I, I don't think. I just can't apply that overlay to this system one way or another. It doesn't make sense yeah. to me. Yeah. Um, just evil is such an interesting thing. You know, I, I really think of it in a religious sense. That is my, that's most people's orientation to the understanding of what good and evil sure. is. Yeah, sure. And there's no, I mean, there's no better source of magical thinking I can think of. <laughs> than, than yeah. that construct within the religious context. You know, I, me as a, I always bring it back to this, but, you know, me as a gay man, let me tell you, I can't tell you how many people have popped up out of their mouth and just told me that I was evil or that whatever is inside of me or whatever is going on is a work of evil. And I'm like, I'm sitting up in here yeah. in, in my house in, in Phoenix, Arizona with my husband you know, caring for my community, you know, watching my nieces and right. nephews and whatever, showing up for people when they sick. Here, have some, have some soup, like whatever. Right, like, I right. Don't, there's literally nothing yeah. about my life that is much different from anybody else's. I'm with somebody of the same sex and it's so inconsequential, yeah. but evil is just a word for shorthand of I don't know what the hell is going on over there, meaning within another person, within yeah. a collective group of people or whatever, but I don't like it and it rubs me the wrong way. And so I'm not even going to invest the time that it takes to understand it because it makes me so searingly uncomfortable. Yeah. It, it Look, it's a shorthand to to basically condemn people in actions that you don't understand, mm-hmm. to put yourself on a, a moral high ground mm-hmm. and you don't have to get deep. I think the thing that really bothers me about some of the, at least the more religious types have, or, or, you know, like it's not even the more religious types, but a lot of the sort of these churches that will just teach that 
you know, X is evil, Y is not, B is uh-huh. evil, A is not. It's it's you are you are contributing more to people to the extent that there is a real like actual evil that exists outside of that. Your inability to understand the nuance or to engage in meaningful discussion in that nuance is actually, and and your willingness to just condemn people is actually leading more people to do whatever evil would be given that you've just totally taken away, you know, their ability to, to analyze it. Correct. You know, a human experience like and and it's so weird because when you when you describe your life ja you know everything that you describe is you doing things out of out of love out of a sense of connection out of a sense of community and i just you know i don't i don't have a i don't really think in terms of good and evil either because i do think that you know, to the extent that there is some kind of really high good or evil that it's beyond a lot of human understanding. Mm-hmm. But I, I I will say, you know, I have a hard time, at least today, looking at someone like you who is living with, I don't know, so much love in what you're doing with the people that you're with, you know, with the the way that you try to build in your community and somehow turning around and telling someone, you see that that's evil, you know, that's bad. Like, what is the gay agenda? That's one of my favorite. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. Because my existence is a problem. My existence ends up having to be an agenda. And let me tell you who I don't hear that from a lot of people um, that do not look like us. If you know what I'm yeah. talking about, Bob. Yeah, I hear that. So I, hear I hear that from my own cousins and uncles and, and people that are really close to me, and I understand their indoctrination. So, uh, yeah, you, you just hit it spot on. Um, and uh, this is the last thing I, I, I want to ask you, and I'm actually going to ask Bree this too. At what point do you think? that in this vast universe with all that could be going on, all that is going on, all the places you could be, all the, all the things you could invest your energy in is, is a fight not no longer worth having. Like when you, when you, you see something and you're like, this is actually not worth fighting for because everybody wants this thing to sink so bad, so badly. Yeah. There are so many mechanisms that are trying to pull this, trying to blow yeah. this thing out of the air. Yeah, it's it's just this is this is no longer worth fighting for because this is going to self destruct no matter how much I try and interrupt. Hmm. I I I don't I've been feeling a lot of overwhelming feelings like that just in the last couple of weeks of being like, man, I don't even know. Yeah, how do you deal with that? Yeah, I. God, that's a really good question. And I think I have an answer, but there's a lot of different routes to go with this. I'll start here. There was some kind of study. I can't remember where I heard of this, but there was some kind of study 
God, where did I hear this? It, you all have probably heard this because we follow a lot of the same podcasters and shit. So we're all just listening to a lot of the same shit. So stop um, me if actually, you've heard this before. Bye, yeah. I need you to go ahead and hit me to every podcast and thing that you be listening to. Go ahead. And, <laughs> I ain't playing with you. Go ahead. I'll send them. I'll send you. I'll send you. But we, I, I already know you listen to a lot of the same stuff because, you know, we got the bad faith. We got, I know you listen to Kyle Kalinske every once in a while. I know. Um, I check in on what else? What else am I listening to? I'll get to that. I'll get to your question first. But the the, the question, look, there was some kind of stuff that was done on rats where some guy was, I don't know, some fucking psychopath was just, he put a rat in a, like a, a water basin where it couldn't get out mm. and it would swim and swim and swim and swim. And knowing that it didn't have a chance, it would give up in like 20 minutes, right? Or like 10 minutes. But he took another group of rats, right, and put them in the basin. And they'd swim for, you know, 10 minutes. And right when he thought they were about to drown, he'd rescue them. And he'd take them out and take them out and they'd be out of the water. And then they'd, because he's fucked up, he'd put them back in the water. Those rats afterwards, and maybe this is just a fake study, too, that was made up for a movie or something. But those rats afterwards would then swim for eight hours before drowning. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. That's like what happens so, in video games when you actually watch somebody beat a level and then you yeah, realize you, yes, you can be exactly. done and you're able to do it. Exactly. Or with world records, when someone breaks a world record and then, or like a big, like, you know, like the, uh, like a big mile record or something, then everyone starts doing it. Like, are getting under some kind of mark of a mile. It's because you realize it's possible. You realize that there's potentially hope. Now, what, what does that mean? The the idea of hopelessness or having hopelessness can make you give up sooner. That's one. But there's also this, this, this other element of like, you know, when you, all kinds of studies done on, on these animals or these, these like creatures, things that will fight harder for another person too, right? For another thing. If if it's if they're not alone and they have someone else, then they can go longer. And that's another part, right? So when I think about when is it worth it to just like give up and throw up our hands or whatever. Well, I think too. And I don't it's, know if I'd frame go, it like that. But oh yeah, what did, what yeah, you you frame reframe it. I I think that I, like I said there's a vast universe in the world that we get to live in. Maybe there's a society somewhere. I, I, I kind of was fucking around and I and I posted something um, in bad faith the other day. I was like, oh man, sometimes you just need to go ahead and start considering being an immigrant somewhere. Like, there are so many places where the energy, uh, uh, all of the stuff that you, all the passion and things that you can put into a community, into a country, would be better received. Would actually really i see Do you i know see what i mean it's kind i of see like one of those things i'm not saying i don't know like but I, so i've say, had to yeah. leave some relationships where i've been like man i have i have done everything i could possibly think of and you are absolutely devoted to being miserable yeah. And there's nothing i can do to stop that and i you reach this turning point where you're like <sighs> you know what i'm talking about i know i know i've been i've been left for being one of those people too and it actually ended up, I, it, it's, it's interesting because it actually ended up really helping me in the end. Um, oh, yeah. 
and 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 that's not always the case, but sometimes you know, like there is a moment. I guess, I guess with you know, if it's something like a, a relationship or something like that, there is there's a moment where that becomes more productive. And I think it's hard to there's it's really hard to get a hard and fast rule for something like that, you know, yeah. like with the country, for example, you know, like I, look, I I do think because if you want everyone to be happy. And my sister said this too. Actually, she came on here after the uh, Dobbs decision was overturned, um, and she was talking about how you can't let, or how she didn't want to let something rob her of her joy, you know, and how her joy was kind of her birthright. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, what does she mean by that? I think she means that that it's a radical act to kind of just enjoy your fucking life too, in a way. That that uh, you as a human being being born here deserve some semblance of joy, deserve some kind of like you, you deserve more than just misery and desperation and pain. And so, even though something painful was happening, you know, even though this this stop decision came out and it's like well where what does that mean to the future of her you know bodily autonomy she still it was kind of like the act of like just trying to be happy about something i was about to say dog them chips are fucking kicking your ass right now dude like you can (laughs) bag of vegetables and i I am literally never gonna get this open use a tool use any tool a knife uh some scissors some something like that your teeth man i was trying to preserve (laughs) the seal you know what i'm talking about the little over seal thing but it ain't gonna happen over here i'm trying to shears right now <laughs> I'm trying to answer this deep philosophical question about like what is it to be a person? What is it to when do you give up all this? And then it's just like this bag is just whooping that ass. Like, I know. But, I'm so you know, sorry, no, it's okay. When do you give up on the bag, Ja? You know, I guess it depends uh, how hungry you are. It's the scissors. So okay. I agree with your sister. Sometimes you have to do the radical act and be like, mm, yeah, never mind. Good luck to y'all. And, you know, there's also this part of me that's like, and I know that this is extraordinarily privileged and crazy of me to even be suggesting that there is even an option to give up for so many people because this is, you know, my whole family lives here. And this is the country I was born in. This is the country that, you know, generations of my family were born in. I, it's it's not an easy thing to even consider, but there's there's a part of me that's like, oh, let's run this experiment real quick. Since y'all want to privatize everything and be trying to act like the market is <laughs> is the ultimate good in this world, let's let's, let's take it to Girl. let's take it to the extreme. Yeah. You know, let's yeah. privatize water. What are we waiting for? Let's yeah. go and let's see how this turns out. Yeah. Since y'all well, motherfuckers are so smart, <laughs> it's it's. I think what I, what what keeps me connected here is I. I don't know. I I don't like the idea of people who I grew up with or something, you know, struggling because they because someone else privatized water. Mm-hmm. You know, no, I go as long not. as I can here, and you know, I'll, to the extent that I can, I'll travel and do whatever. But like that is a little like, I don't know, dog. I don't know. It's it's a hard question, and I I'll, I'll say this. 
I don't knock anybody who decides to leave. Me neither. I don't. You know? I'm going to stick around here for a while, but that's just because I... I am a very spiteful guy. <laughs> there's a, I, I just, there's part of me that wants to stay here to spite the people that want to privatize water. Yeah. Because it's at least one more roadblock. As small as it is, I want them to feel every bump. I just want them to feel every bump as they're trying to mow it all down. And if they can't, you know, maybe they hit too many bumps and it stops. But again, I, with this crazy shit's been here, I do not knock people if they have the capacity, if they have the ability to leave, to leave. But for those that don't, you know, at least I'm here for for the time being. Yeah, I'm I'm about in the same place, though I don't quite have the spite. Um, I yeah. Don't know, like I, did I, might, might I have said this last call where I was like. You're a Boondocks fan. You watch the Boondocks. I know uh, you did. Uh, yes, I do. Absolutely. There is this the episode greatest. where uh, uh, Reverend Rollo Goodlove mm-hmm. says, Boy, stop. Boy, just stop. Niggas is just going to be niggas. Yeah. <laughs> Tell me you know what I'm talking about. I do. This I episode do. was devastating. It was the one where Huey went on the hunger strike against BET. Uh huh. Man. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Just kept going. That, that he didn't exactly leave, though. how I feel. He didn't. He, 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 he still you know, he sat tried. around. He did. He tried in the last episode of season three. He did try to leave. But he, he didn't did. have a ride to Canada. because That's the best part. That's fucking hilarious. Fucking hilarious. God, I hope they bring that back, even though it's not going to be the same without um, guy who was a play, guy who played Grandpa. John just, Witherspoon? Uh, yes, John Witherspoon. Yes, the legend yes. himself? Rest in peace. Legend. Yeah. Absolute legend. Rest in peace. But oh, And you know why this yeah. fifth season didn't get off the ground is because John Witherspoon's son, who does do a wonderful impression of his father, he does. Um, felt really sort of shorted for not being even considered for the role. And I'm just like, man. He wasn't considered for it? What in the world? That's ridiculous. I don't know why. Yeah. And you know there's politics with all this stuff. I'm like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Doctor, you're gonna spoil all our joy. Right. Mr. Witherspoon, thank you. Yeah. But I do look like that that was the guy. I mean Regina King's great on it too, but like obviously. I, that whole show oh, is so yeah. fucking good. For y'all who haven't watched Boondocks, Aaron Magruder and that whole crew have been killing it for they were killing it way before even killing it was like a thing like some of those episodes are have aged so well too like he is a smart guy really smart guy some of those episodes are now like we are now understanding those yes yeah yeah they're prophetic which is crazy but like yeah because it's a fucking boondocks you don't expect it to be prophetic or nothing like that but like apparently this this is a guy who's had like air mcgruder says i on the price for a long time like he he's understood He's been deconstructing this shit for a long time. Same with people like Boots Riley. Like Boots Riley has been understanding uh-huh. shit for a long time. And it's, you know, only now I'm sorry to bother you and stuff that people are, I mean, you know, people knew the coup and all that, but, you know, yeah, they knew Man. it. But yes. John, I'm going to let you cook, yeah, dog. Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> I'm about to grub. You already know. <laughs> love you, bye. You're the best. Yeah, love you too, dude. 
Yeah, thanks for calling in, Joe. Always a pleasure. Yes, take care of yourself. Yeah, you do the same. Bye. All right, next we got Joe. Joe, what's going on? Welcome to the Fred Hampton Inn Suites. Thanks for your patience. Oh, man. You know what? Um, I was going to say thank God for recommendations because I uh, <laughs> never got a chance to meet you before, but I really uh, enjoy this conversation. And, you know, uh, just and a shout out to Ja. Um, you know, I, I when I was listening to you guys talk, I just was thinking like of a few of those uh, sayings that come across, you know, that, um, you know, in those times, you know, we all get bitter and whatnot and you know, yeah. it's, it's easy to have happen, but it, you know, it's the work that we do. And I was going to say your, uh, spite is really, I would probably classify it, it, it as grit and determination, um, you know, to, to, to really write the ship and, uh, you know, I mean, God, dude, you know what your, your frustrations with Ted Cruz were not lost on, me. but the, you know, that side is like so unchallenged intellectually and that, you know, yeah. that's kind of what, but you know, the other thing I was going to say is, uh, um, to, uh, Ja is the, he was so open, you know, with, with yeah. what his lifestyle and, and who he is and, yeah. you know, that's chemistry. chemistry yeah. hundred percent. You know, and. Um, and the heart knows what the heart, the heart wants what the heart wants. I don't know who said it, but it was a great saying. Yeah. And, um, and, and you know that, you know, I'm 56 and I just want Ja to hear this too, that the nineties war on gay lifestyle was horrifyingly bad in eighties. It was worse. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't there for the whole time, but, uh, mm. I, I it was a pretty hostile environment. Oh, dude. Yeah. And I mean, yeah. it, it was, you know, so there is evolution that's coming. And, you know, the thing that really kind of blew things open was social media. And, and I remember the first time I heard the argument of like, um, you know, somebody saying, well, they don't have to be gay, you know, like it's the choice. And then when the choice question gets turned on them, well, are you choosing not to be gay now? Are you fighting an inner battle? If some somebody came up to you and gave you a really good sales pitch, could could you be in the sack in about fifteen minutes? Yeah, gave, yeah, you know. And they had to come to that point in their. And I'm telling you, man, Trump was not even really into the gay battle, minus the gender talk about. Yeah, the stuff. Yeah, the stuff's changed for sure. I mean, like, look, and Trump was. Uh, you know, he used to, he was a New Yorker from before. He had seen all the shit before. He's, it's not his agenda. That's one of the few ways that he really strayed from a lot of the normal sort of normative Republican talking points and everything like that. But, you know, honestly, I think it'd be, we'd probably be a better society if like more people could just like, if more people could just be convinced to, you know, after a 15 minute pitch to go fuck and then there weren't like big like consequences or whatever, you know, someone didn't have to worry about, their masculinity or whatever the fuck from just like, you know, just doing whatever, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like, there's so many of these weird hangups around like how people exist and express themselves with each other. And it's strange that those hangups can be so big that they, they create fear responses in people who, uh, 
end up sort of like cutting themselves off or cutting other people off from like actually being able to live full lives or live fully and truly to themselves. And I think one thing I've always admired about the gay community here or the gay community as I've seen it struggle through the kind of shit they've gone through is like they it, they have to deal with all that shit while it's like, and then they still have to learn to embrace it. So it's it almost forces oh. you to have like a come to Jesus kind of moment of like who you are, you know, because you have to, it doesn't matter what society says about this or that, or like how much of a, uh, you know, how much of a taboo they try to make it. It is who you are. And it's, it is, I think there's freedom in accepting the fact that like, in accepting you and a lot of people can learn a lot of good lessons from doing the same with themselves and it doesn't have to be sexually, but like that sort of forced confrontation into there is no sort of like middle ground here. There is no sort of praying this shit away or whatever. I think that kind of radical acceptance is something that a lot of people could benefit off. Yeah. You know, it's it's always that and nicely put by the way. Um, You know, I was going to say, it just reminded me as you were breaking that down, um, breaking out of the mindset of this false uh, framed in morality, you know, so that, you know, when you just can't be who you are and, and it's this now it's a moral breakdown, like, oh, man, you know, oh, I can't believe that they just can't do the right thing. Well, no, man. I mean, it's just ridiculous. But, I, you know, I think that that's where we're getting to and where people are literally dropping off and, you know, kind of create, finding new friends. Like if you can't find any sunshine where you're at, you got to make your own. And sometimes that involves cutting people off who you just can't get past. You don't want to spend a whole lot of time, um, you know, just, just dancing around and performing uh, for people who aren't ready to see yet. But that is, you know, I think then that goes back to what Joe was talking about, what kind of bums him out. But I think it's the discipline of who we're going to, like, you know, the good works that we try and do as as humanists, you know, but it's when we, we stay disciplined, when those times when we're not motivated enough, where the motivation doesn't carry us through, our, yeah. our discipline does. And, in, and, and to job, man, uh, half of Arizona, the body, the Democrats, yes, full of flaws, but I can tell you about early Arizona politics. Uh, and how truly freaky and weird it was back in 9-11 days. Um, yeah, I can you know, imagine. Yeah. Oh, man, I, I can, can tell you all sorts of stories. And, and our as our conversations go on, I love to chat about that. I want to tell Ja, though, that half of this Arizona Democratic body is is a member of our revolution, which was Bernie's thing, which mm. was Nina Turner's. And, and I mean, you... Take a 30,000-foot fly over Arizona, and you hear everything. Oh, no, it's upstate, man. Oh, you know, this, that. No, it's not. The blue is very blue. I'm, I'm living right from him in Tucson. From who? What? What? Who? Oh, are you still there? Am I still here? <laughs> Do we exist? Can anyone hear me? Is this good? Do like a thumbs up or something in the chat if you can hear me because oh. I'm okay. Okay. Here we go. Sorry. I'm back. Oh, dude, I'm... Joe, are you back? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. So, yeah. Sorry. Hey, how do I pronounce your name? 
Oh, just bye. Bye. Oh, that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. I just hear from you. And, um, but you know, man, it, it's just like serve the base. We didn't have to start off all these fires. We had a million people leave the Democratic Party in Joe, yeah. you know, took his presidency. It didn't yeah. be like that. Well, look, the Democratic Party is, I think, you know, I think the bleed away from the Democratic Party and the Republican Party are a lot of it is directly attributable or traceable back to this 9-11 shit. You know, it is when both parties agree on war, mm. when mm. both parties agree on economic policies and offshoring jobs, when both parties oh. agree on tax breaks for the rich and, and nothing for the poor, it, it adds to the disillusionment that people are already feeling. And, you know, it's, I've never gotten away from, from people who are really hurting under the economic sort of conditions, you know, and I think that it's hard to, I don't, I'm still, as far as like, I I guess people in these call-ins and stuff go, I, I still tend to be, uh, you know, I will still every once in a while vote Democrat, but it's, it's, it's not like a good choice. And honestly, I think it's time for those. I think it's, you know, the, our revolution and, and like the Bernie types really are, should be where the center should be as far as where we're at politically, honestly, like Bernie's what Bernie asked for is so milk toast in so many parts of Europe, you know, like, like without it is, it it is it we've just gone so far away from actually empowering people and workers and and the working and middle classes and the working and middle class they're like the same but one has a little more money that's really but like they're both under the same sort of conditions for where they're being pressed and where their entire livelihood is based off of uh empowering uh or or, or making their labor being exploited for the benefit of a capitalist right like so it's it, as far as their their relation to the production of or the means of production, they're pretty similar. So, you know, but like we've gotten so far away from them, like these people having any sort of type of say at all in their own lives, really, that we think it's radical that people should be making a living wage. You know, like, well, no shit, people should be making a living wage. That's it's literally called the living wage so that people can live. Like if you're not making a living wage, then what, what in the world are, you know, what do you, Yeah. how do you expect them to do anything? How do you expect them to live? How do you expect them to contribute anything to society? How do you expect them to grow? And it's, yeah. you, know. I, I, you know, to pitch in also, and, and man, I'm going to take a kick at that, uh, you know, at that thing, because you, and you look at how undeveloped are as a party and, and even as a progressive, like, you know, I don't know, whatever word you want, descriptor word you want to use is fine. Um, you know, you're not blowing me out of the water with anything you're saying. I, I, I'm right with all right. In, in, in mostly every way, shape or form. And uh, uh, but with that being said is like now the downside to being a progressive, like how can you have like, you know, th- there's a beauty of a majority and there's a punishing aspect to the other side of the super majority. And it is um, a if you have. 70% plus wicked supermajority and you can't do dick squat with it and you can't deliver anything even when you have the populace behind you 
but you can't get anybody to show up for Nina Turner. A phone call 12 hours before by AOC, but you know, why weren't they showing up? I mean, like, I'll show you a neutered group. Yeah. I'll well, show because you. we don't believe in it, Joe. Well, yeah, you know, like and, and we, guy- we've we been made numb. It feels, uh, I'll say this, it feels like a lot of that uh, music from the 90s, you know, from bands like Alice in Chains and Nirvana to some extent, but a lot of that feels even more 90s now. Like it feels more like so much of this, you know, sort of just, desperation and just uh it's not it's kind of like hopelessness but it's just sure understanding that your participation in the system is not going to change it really or you don't even want to participate in the system because you don't want to like why why should i give joe biden another vote when it's just going to be a continuation of all the same shit like i'm tired of having personal sort of participation in that um you know, it starts to feel like it makes people feel numb. So when you talk to people about Nina Turner and Nina Turner, you know, like I do like Nina Turner. I I get it. She got I, as F, dude. She got, she got, she got, yeah, she got, Um, I mean, and all the dirty tricks were done against her. True. Yeah. But like, I almost feel like she shouldn't have run as, as a Democrat at that point. I'm, I'm, I'm I, I'll you. say, yeah, yeah. Point. In fact, yeah. I think tactical move is the solid move, but you know, and that's why, I, I mean, I'm going to take with me the understandings of Bernie Sanders. I think he should have ran as an FDR Democrat uh, because he would add more anchorings and moorings that he could have used. Yes, FDR had some horseshit uh, chapters in his book. But, right. you know, with, with that being said, I mean, take the best of it and take the stuff that gives Republican heart attacks. Because that's <laughs> what FDR said that he used uh, to yeah. fight against fascism. Yeah, and, you know, and dude, that's what's on the menu. And I don't see any movement. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because the the fascism that's on the menu right now is like I I a lot of the voters who are voting for it because look, yeah, like look, it's oh God, how how far do I go down this? I'll say this: looking back on this whole nine eleven shit and the yeah. aftermath, I think in every meaningful way the Bush era was more fascist than the Trump era. I do think that Trump poses a unique risk in that he's sort of the mask off version of a cult of personality fascist, uh, which, you know, to the extent that even your, your system has to have the air of legitimacy, that's no longer there with Trump. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, I don't know. It doesn't matter if it was, if it's in the constitution or not, it's, it's, it's very mask off. Right. Um, uh, but dude, let me, let me interject this and see what you think. Like I mm-hmm. would love to hear your breakdown because I got the corporate features of what Dick Cheney brought to the table and, you know, Enron and, you know, all those, uh, buzz names and those, uh, skanks that were hanging around back in the day. Um, yeah. I was one of those skanks. That's me, baby. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. I was just trying to get a nut. Um, yeah. So, so the, um, um, you know, just you, you, you look back at that sort of weird corporate, um, just total allegiance. It's, I think that Trump has taken those and expressed that, that formula and really meant yeah. like left, he's robbing and looting the place through a $1.8 trillion unfunded yeah. tax cut, deficit driving. 
and nobody yeah. says what about that. Yeah, and, and the effects take the effects actually start to uh, hit the the middle and, and working class the year Biden takes the presidency, which is yeah. hilarious. Like, oh. what a dick move. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I mean, like, um, but that was the very lowest day of his presidency. But right yeah. after that, he was acquitted uh, because mm-hmm. you know the Democrats. I'll tell you what, they couldn't slap their ass cheeks if you gave them a detailed map of where their <laughs> ass cheeks are. And yeah. uh, but with that being said, and here, here's what I'll make the case: like, we got to strategize too because um, Diane Feinstein is going down the tubes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh, there's yeah. a couple of power moves that we could do. We know that um, uh, Joe Biden is, man, I'll tell you what, I don't know how he hung out this long, to be quite honest. Yeah. Uh, 48th year of trash politics. Um, that's got to yeah. take a hold on a guy. Um, Joe, how did you how did uh, how did you find out about this call in? Are you are you new to the app or do you follow like, um, I don't no, know, I, like the got wrecked. Go ahead. You, all the name dropping you did was where I came from. And then your your uh, feed slid on and you were live. I'm like, well, let's check out uh, Bide here. And, <laughs> yeah. and uh, but dude, I'm really glad to bump into you guys. You, John, and uh, I think Amanda was your first caller. Yeah, um, yeah. I I think you'd like a lot of the people who are here, Joe. They they. I'll tell you what. It, it is one of the reasons I really like this app is it does. You know, I came through the sort of bad faith uh, pipeline and started talking to people too, and. You know, people like Job, very smart and have a lot going on as far as like, you know, I think one of the things I really see that's really nice about this app is people, it gives people the ability to sort of coordinate with each other. And Amanda actually has a show too, um, which she does pretty often on here where she's, the specific goal is to just try to coordinate with people about uh, what they can do policy wise, how they can strategize more. Uh, I know Derek's down there. He hosts a, a lot of rooms that end up doing the same. Uh, and that's, that's like really, you know, I, I feel like a lot of the energy that I'm getting from you, uh, you know, they're worth checking out. They're worth checking out. And there, a lot of people are always trying to coordinate with each other to, to maybe make something more meaningful. Um, and I don't know, like sometimes these apps, uh, these rooms are more like support groups. And then sometimes they're more like, uh, like places where we can organize. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you found this and I, I wouldn't be a stranger with anyone who, uh, you've seen in these same sort of chats and everything, or these, uh, these same sort of calling rooms because they, they're all, look, we all want the same thing. And we now have the ability to coordinate with one another to try to make that happen. Yeah. So like, you know, we should I'd like take that it. opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Because there, it, again, it's that realization that, you know what? Um, it, it's almost like sales pitch. Um, and if you sold this item and 70 plus percent of the people want Medicare for all or whatever, fill in the blank, you know, just elder care, whatever um, you, you know, stop talking the deal is done you've delivered now it's time to you know deliver the product and get it there our our problem is really kind of figuring out and what i think we would agree on is that's why i think the bold power move of going third party if bernie would have had the cojones to do it oh my god man it would yeah it would have flipped everybody's shit so so i've i've 
I was someone who was skeptical of that at first. My conversations on here have made me a lot less skeptical. I think that's the way to go. I think you have to show, you at least have to show a significant amount of pressure and a significant block of people who are willing to just really leave, right? Um, And I do think like a third party, I think there are some actual real advantages to someone like Bernie running on a third party ticket. Because I think there's a lot of like the, you know, I, I think I think we sometimes underestimate the amount of sort of negative uh, connotations that get associated with leftists who run under the Democratic Party, right? Yeah. yeah. They have the D. I, I, like Nina Turner, I think was actually should have actually done fully independent. Um, it's a tough call. It's look, it is a tough call, and there are a lot of organizations out there that think very differently. DSA tends to generally. Uh, to the degree that I've been organizing with them, they tend to think differently. They tend to think you won't be elected. I'm in Chicago though. So Chicago is very much a big D city. You Mm -hmm. need, you need that usually on the ticket, but more and more people are, are running as open socialists. And that's, yeah, that's that's helping from uh, having Rahm Emanuel run your town. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Welcome to, welcome to Chicago, baby. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I want to chop in with this too, is, um, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, that there, I just, man, I'll tell you what, we're in this crucial moment. Uh, we've really got to be careful about the walk away. And I understand the no, you know, I'm the old guy talking. I've had my, my, you know, much of a life wasted by the worst form of Democrat you could ever possibly find, you know, create, uh, that blue dog yeah. scared Evan by nineties. You would sometimes find a Dennis Kucinich and go, Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. But then you see the power moves that have always been the power. Yeah. The democratic leadership. And yeah. Even, you, yeah. Know, you couldn't even get the mother to, uh, to vote, to undo dark money coming into it. Yeah, I mean, you just heard about that vote coming in right now, right? Is that what you're referring to? The um, yeah, the DNC just rejected holding a vote to get rid of uh, dark money contributions in primaries. Not even not even uh, general elections, but primary elections. So oh, the people man. who are actually going to be selected to be the Democratic nominees, they were saying basically, let's get dark money out of out of uh, this, this part, so that. Mm-hmm. We're not constantly favoring corporate friendly Democrats because what happens is dark money, dark money comes through something called a 501c4 typically mm-hmm. organization. This is a non-for-profit organization that is supposed to uh, push some kind of like social welfare or social good. Uh, they could be like educational or anything like that. But what they usually end up being are, are people who are trying to lobby for specific legislation or push for specific policies. So um a couple of 501c4 organizations would be like the NRA and uh, Planned Parenthood and stuff like that. You know, people who who have a like a social welfare mission, but their their real push here is is policy based. So they want to be able to lobby. Um, so 501c4 organizations. One unique feature about them is People can donate to a 501c4 organization. The 501c4 organization will still be tax exempt itself, but the the donations to the 501c4 organizations are not tax deductible. But because they're not tax deductible, 
And because they don't have the same sort of restrictions on them as like a 501c3 or other organizations, individual donors can just donate to one of these organizations and the organization does not have to report who is donating to it, right? Yeah. Because usually if you're a 501c3, then you have to report who's donating because you have to give them basically tax receipts and the like, right? Yeah. So here you can basically, in a 501c4, one of the weird features about it is you can get a bunch of money from a bunch of different people and never, or organizations or whoever, and, and not have to publicly disclose where you got that money from. And that ends up being very bad or very good for corporate candidates who have a lot more money and now they don't have to disclose who is paying them. So what ends up happening with this dark money in particular, uh, Joe, is that you will have, it's really interesting because you will have like people from the opposing party who are wanting to sponsor certain candidates in primaries so they start basically going into that primary of the Democrats or Republicans and donating money to people that they want to win in the Democrat or Republican uh, primary. And then by the time that person chosen as their party representative for the general election, you don't know whether they're actually sponsored by the NRA or Planned Parenthood. You, you, you literally don't know. And so there could be a bunch of people who have a D next to their name but are all the only reason they're there is because they had the most money as donated to them by a bunch of Republicans. So it's it's see it's Pete, a mess. See yeah. Pete Buttigieg at the wine. Oh, uh, yeah. No, I, you, know, see, oh. Um, you know, you just spoke to something I was going to drop. And it was about that, uh, that very 501C4. And it was right in your backyard. And it's, mm -hmm. uh, it was at one point six trillion dollars. Uh, mm -hmm. a billion billion dollars yeah. at uh last name is saeed the yeah. lever just dropped a story on this and it was like really mind-blowing uh but un like unsurprising because this is what freaks people out and it's you know when when money comes and drops a you know a couple million bucks on your head if you're a candidate in negative research yep um yeah but that guy you know he mm -hmm. 1.6 billion dollar Chicago electrics firms. They ran the deal through Ireland, to where it was a tax haven, a corporate tax haven, and um, and then you know you had a little bit of coverage in this country, and it was like, well, yeah, because oh, look at that, he skipped out on 400 billion bucks worth of tax payment, not the dark money and the polluting political effect that in the cancer, the stage yeah. cancer of of. Uh, you know, the, the voter, 100 million people that did not vote last last big election. Yeah. I mean, you know, so, uh, the, you know, and, and the thing is, though, and what what I think what we've got to do is really be careful about this, because dudes, we do not. And, and, and gals and guys, we do not realize that. Yeah. This, my side doesn't realize. And it's the since 2015, uh, the Heritage Foundation finance yeah. the meeting of a constitutional convention and it's when um conservatives can get you know run the run the power chain not talking executive bottom up and they're very close and um russ uh, russ Feinst, uh feingold did a that's his number one baby hmm. is, 
you know, get running around about this because nobody's talking about it. And, uh, and, and like, I, I used to, it's, it's painful to listen to him. You know, he's one yeah. of those Democrats that hurts, but, um, but I think the threat is real. And you look at, I come from Wisconsin originally, so I'm, you, you oh, know, cool. what up? Politics. Dude, yeah. we have been so punked in Wisconsin, like, and, but it comes from Barack Obama when he, when he went corporate and soft, um, and, yeah. you know, those, those, and he gave us Republican health care. All that shit came out in those 2010 elections and those big blow, blowouts, it allowed the losses were so heavy in Wisconsin and the Republicans took over so hard. They've gerrymandered this shit like, you know, they're showing like 51 percent crafts can show up and 39 percent of Republicans will win because they gerrymander districts and, and fiddle with the vote and things yeah. like that. Yeah, dude. I, I, so, so we can get our. I'm just saying the evolution of where we want to be versus how many hurdles we want to put in our way. Like our choices have to be careful, but we've really got a lot to think about. Um, yeah, that, that, I, I, I do think. But you know, going back to like the third party run or the third party uh, candidates and and just sort of running another third party ticket, I. I think part of that would be very good for something like this here because you see, you know, someone like someone like Barack Obama who goes corporate as as you were saying. I I think that part of me thinks that Barack Obama was always corporate. Yes. And then just revealed himself to be who he was. Mm-hmm. Um I think when we see I think we put our projections onto Obama. Yeah. And he played off of those to get elected like any other politician. Yes. And guilty. then got into office guilty. and guilty of charge. <laughs> yeah, me too. Well, me too. Me too. hundred percent. I have I still have the shirts. Were you on you know? OFA? You- uh, OFA. Oh, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with what that is, I don't think. That was Obamaforamerica.com and that was where you sign up and you become Part of the uh, the force that went out and knocked on doors and stuff like that, and then gets oh, no. president, and he dissolves the website that he had millions and millions. Like who does that? Yeah, a a, a piece of shit politician, an asshole. You yeah. know, and no offense, like a marketing guy would die to have that email list and that mobility list. And he yet, probably kept it. He probably just where's the Clippers? Put, and we're shut. We're cutting that shit completely. Yeah, we don't want any with the base the corporate machine you know is going to run this thing yeah but that that, that's why i think you know like for a third party i mean one of the things that's convinced me on third party stuff aside from the fact that like you know i've seen how politics have gone since 9 11 and i feel completely disenchanted with the the power structure as it currently is and something needs to shake that up something needs to challenge that directly a third party does but honestly i think you know i I would be more willing to believe, I mean, look, electoralism generally, I don't, I don't know, uh, this is going to sound weird, but (laughs) there have been a couple people on here who have had some pretty robust conversations about, is there even a place for electoralism? Does it even really matter? And I think as long as it's kind of a, a weird popularity contest to try to appeal to the most people and shape messages and and not 
Like, I think as long as people are like really trying to get elected, as weird as that sounds, because that's what people should be trying to do, but trying to get elected from like sound bites or whatever, then yeah. I think we're kind of fucked. But if I think it, you know, if it, if it, there are a lot of policies that you could run on that I still believe people would vote just based on a hard policy base. So a third party with a lot of Bernie's, uh, a, a lot of that like centrist, and I say Bernie is a centrist, but a lot of that sort of center agenda of, you know, well, I, I don't have to say it. You all know it. The Medicare for for all or single payer health care, whatever. The yeah. free public colleges and universities, like all of this stuff that would just be generally popular and, and help people, I think would would would. I think people, if that was run in a third party, would be forced to pay attention to those policies. It's just a matter of how do you get that third party up on the stage? How do you get that third party in a debate? How do you get that third party? How do you get the exposure for that third party? Which is why someone like Bernie would have been great to do that because he had the exposure, right? He had already been there as a Democrat. And then he could, you don't have to get past that initial hump of letting people know who you are letting people know what you represent. As soon as you have that out there and then you give them the option of voting for that outside of the Democratic Party, then, or, you know, the Republican Party, then you you can probably hook quite a few people into that. I think people would go for that. I don't know. I'm just, sorry, I, Joe, yeah. I'm thinking out loud Spit right ball. now. and, and you know, Spitballing, yeah. You'll, you'll know it when you start hearing, like, instead of, like, uh, you know, uh, in the primaries, candidate A runs and, like, I'm for Medicare for all, right. uh, you know, and then it gets put into the corporate meat grinder and it comes out access to health care. Yeah. You know, and like, yeah, yeah, are, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, uh, yeah, no, not exactly really at all. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, but that's the evolution where we're at. I think like, like you're a younger dude. How, what are you in your thirties, forties? Yeah. I'm 33, 33, man. Great, great age. Um, you know, Thanks. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I think it's your 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 guys and your and believe it or not, I'm not shitting you. I think you guys in the gaming culture, and it's through efficiency and like a lot of game theory thinking. I think that that'll be definitely one of the saving features. But there, you know, it, you, you ever heard the saying? Uh, um, oh, how did they say it, man? Uh, the um, the old regime is dead, but the new one isn't ready. Hmm. And that I mean, I've heard it now. Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, Stenler, yeah. they're, they're dead. You know, I mean, that that thing. Yeah. But the new regime is not ready because we'll never allow it, you know, to stand up and say, hey, over here. In fact, we got super majorities. But this is the classic Princeton example. How they said, you know what? The then one percent of what they really want. Take a measurement of when you look out across. And I'm making the the case for you to vote independent and to vote third, third party. But I'm just saying, God, man, if we can get some candidates up, I, I think that the realization for people your age and, and on up, um, you know, and by the way, they en masse, they were rejecting Joe Biden. Uh, he had like 20% yeah. uh, from yeah. Yeah, we were. your age. And, and they all said, fuck you, Biden. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, again, this goes back to, why is that? Why we know who Joe Biden is. We've like people who are in the young and voting base right now, who even if they didn't live through nine eleven, they understand 
the vibes since they understand the the environment since they've seen sort of the cohesion of the two major parties on everything that really should have mattered. Uh, just they've just seen it. Yeah. The, having those experiences are, are in and of themselves radicalizing. Look, we talk about. Uh, I heard so much about the radicalizing forces of. America's foreign policy decisions, America's like wars that are going on in Iraq and Afghanistan and the, you know, the shit that we were doing in Iraq and Afghanistan had a radicalizing effect on so many people who maybe wouldn't have been terrorists, right? Yeah. The foreign policy decisions and the pointless wars and the ridiculous politics that were happening here since 2001 and before 2001, but since 2001 have had a radical radicalizing effect on us. I would yep. not be, look, I could see in some alternative universe somewhere. I am a good little lawyer boy who is not talking about socialism. And I am, you know, probably, uh, <laughs> I don't want to be rude. I was going to say some, some joke stuff, but I'll, I'll hold off because Dude, it's, let you it know, rip, man. Just, nah, that's yeah. all right. I was going to say, I'd be, I'd be hanging out somewhere with my, my white wife and my, my kids <laughs> and just like fucking hanging out, you know, like probably talking about like, Oh, the economy is blah, 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 you know, whatever. Like, Oh, well you gotta choose. You just let the market decide and it would be fine. Like I would be there at some well, point. I could see an alternative universe where that's happening, but like, yeah, it, it is impossible to look at the sort of decisions that America has made up until this point and to try to elude yourself or, or like delude yourself into thinking that somehow the solution to that is to double down on nationalism or double down on this idea that the markets will decide or double down on these. Like none of that makes any fucking sense if you're just paying the slightest bit of attention. Right. Like, which is why, you know, so many of these other movements seem so cult-like in their politics. It's because you actually have to reject reality as it's been unfolding in front of you at a certain point to get to where you, you've gotten to. And I, you know, I, 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 uh, I mourn the, the libertarian version of me that's out there in some other universe, but like, uh, I, I would be a lying if I didn't say that politics, as I've seen them some from, I've seen them develop from when I was a child, have not had a rising effect on me. And you know, here we are. This I is, would, I, dude, I, I'll make this case, and I'm going to chop in and make the case for you. For somebody who, when this war started, when you were 13 years old, oh, dude, that shaped your. You know, we spent seven trillion bucks between Afghanistan and. Yeah. And then all the surrounding little, um, you know, because that was a, a war against the, you know, access of evil. And so it just it, it just really was a spin the dial moment and, and a State Department bonanza. Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. also a CIA sending CIA out to uh, to topple Muammar Gaddafi and, you know. Take yeah, him. we didn't even talk about all the Libya shit. That was such Dude, a colossal fuck up, colossal yeah, but- fuck up. You know, and I would say your generation, and that's why I think you got eyes wide open. I think you guys came into the computer. You know, look at the cost of information in your lifetime. Yeah. I remember computers back then. They were a lot more expensive, man. And now, I mean, yeah. I can buy a smoking computer 
you know, for a thousand bucks. And, uh, yeah. but you know, but that, that's kind of like where we're at right now. And it, it's, it's a, a generation of this shit went down, you know, after yeah. fucking collapsed in 11 days. Like yeah. That, after we were there for but, 20 years, we were there for 20 years, collapses in 11 days. I mean, I, I, I think of a worse return on your investment for anything. <laughs> like, could you imagine? Market. Speak to the market on the market return on that one, right? Mr. Right. Yeah. All these fucking market guys who want to talk about it. Let's talk about the return on investment that you got for Afghanistan. Was that worth it? Was that yeah, even it, if it, even it, if you don't consider the oh. lives that were lost there? That's what pisses me off. Is that like that's the return on the investment and you are murdering more than a million people. Like yeah. that to me, you tortured people for that. You literally, your whole fucking regime, your whole administration tortured people for that. And now you're going to go sit on some farm somewhere and paint pictures of like a nice little house. And that's the rest of your life. I hope like that is, that is God. Dude, like if you want, it me, just gets me going. It's like, what are you? Let me toss this yeah, on I don't that. want to get worked up Fire. again. I'll, I'll, I'll chill. Dude, okay. Look, yeah, no, no, you're, you're Hold on, let me. I'm being chill. Mm, I'm being zen. Collection. Here we are. Okay. Collection. Collection. Okay. Nice right. and zen. Okay, go. let me let me raise the heat back up because you look at oh, the, fuck. Power, the power warriors that we created for 20 years over there, and we say, hey, you know what? Go back home. We know you can't sleep. We know you freak your wife out. We know your kids are afraid of you because you've yeah. got traumatic episodes going on in your mind yeah. that's not been dealt with. Go be a cop. Dog, be dog a cop. we gave we gave people PTSD. We we like gave people PTSD. We killed people. We made people believe in some bullshit version of America for nothing. Literally for nothing. And for less than nothing. Like, which is why when I see Dick Cheney get on an ad and talk about Trump, mm, I understand all I understand is Every, every bone in my body is telling him to go fuck himself. Oh, like, so, please that, just die with your dumbass heart <laughs> that can't pump. And I don't wish death. I really don't wish death on anybody. But like, for real, like with when I when I when I see that, it's hard for me to not empathize or sympathize with someone who voted for Trump with the idea that like that, like these are the people who sold me out. Like, they're correct on that point. They're correct on the people who sold them out. They're correct on that. It's just, it's they're buying into the same rhetoric and the same sort of, they're, Trump would sell them out faster. Even if he's dumber in doing it, he would also sell them out. And so many of our politicians, and Trump is just a politician like anyone else, really. But so many of them are just doing that. With bad taste and like a bad set of readings. Like, yeah, yeah. How do you not, like that dude was like the world was ready for transformation when you vote yeah. a clown like Donald Trump and and but that's hopium, dude. You, like they're just like, oh my god, he's a businessman. It's a whole lot of hopium. Like they ran that yeah. They didn't do yeah. the bankrupt six times guy. They didn't yeah. do the uh, you know just defunct universities yeah. and hot dog companies and you know whatever. But but it's more the state of the psychological. Um, you know, the uh, I think we all are suffering from political Stockholm syndrome. And I, I, I'm serious because we want to yeah. Trump be our daddy. And then, like, you know, James Clyburn says, no, nope, serious people are going to go for Joe Biden. We heard the worst shit come out of Joe Biden's mouth that I have ever heard from a fucking politician in my life. And that guy said it. 
like in every bad hand, just, just first shit. Joe said it. Joe wrote the bills like that from credit card. Uh, can't, can't yeah. punch debt to, yeah. you know, the crime bill. We all know that shit, but I mean, now that's also a mark of evolution to where he kind of had to denounce that guy. I think, and here's the thing about Biden with that too. I do think like the marks of evolution that, that tend to be happening with him now, I think are directly because of our pressure are directly because of like, I think he's forced to make this concession for student loan debt. I think he's been forced because his poll numbers were not shit, which makes me think, you know, third parties would again be worth it because like we, you see them try to give us slivers of, of anything when they think that their career, their position is on the line. Um, They'll, they'll bend, they'll bend. But, and I I guess where I'm at is I don't understand the degree where I'm, still trying to figure out the degree to which they need to be bent versus broken. And I do think that the broken part is becoming more and more of, I don't know, like the correct path to me. And I don't mean like break their bodies or anything like that. Let's, let's calm down everybody. I don't, I'm not advocating for anything. What do you mean? I just mean like, <laughs> what do you- I don't, I don't appreciate people like Biden being in power, even though, and this is silly to say, like he, he is the most, progressive president of my lifetime, which is sad. It's sad, but like, I, it's still not enough. Like given the stakes that we actually have, I need more. We need more. But it's, it's a matter of like the, the stakes are what they are, but you know, and, and, and he has to actually be like, he's not going to meet the moment. And like, if, 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 if Bernie was in there right now, he would probably need to be doing more. And that is, we need, we need to, after this whole, you know, given where we're at now, given the after effects of the last 21 years, um, there's going to be, have to be some correction that needs to be done. And, you know, putting the extent that's going to happen through electoralism is going to happen. But Joe, I, 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 Hey, let I me appreciate say, you calling in. Yeah, one more thing, because I, I it's bedtime for me. Oh, I got you. And I'll leave on yeah. this note, is that, A, it's really important that we do keep this movement. Movement politics is where it's at. Ilhan sure. Omar almost got beat. Um, she got dumped on by that 501c4 money that you were talking about. It is mm-hmm. such a real threat. Um, and so the community and the call-in features, it just I, I, this is what I love about your show, is a really good dive into... Yeah, you know, it's the right time to do the right thing. We were talking about right shit tonight. And yeah, you know, it's just really um really nice to meet you. And uh what hey, what's the name of your show so that I don't blow this one? Yeah, sure. It's the the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. Fred I love that name, man. <laughs> yeah. You are you yeah. are fucking brilliant. How you must have not even close. No. came up with that name man oh my god no nah, i'm just i'm just i like puns <laughs> no oh. brilliance i just like puns dude that's, that's hey, and you know what that, i appreciate if it i would have remembered that aspect of your show i probably would add you know better points to bring up man but uh, you had great stuff to say joe what? great stuff I, I i really appreciate you calling in and, and look i do it every tuesday um sometimes on the weekends just for fun but um yeah. calling again you know bring up more of your points that's a you know that's why I, 
that's what I like about this app. So, dude, the concept of Fred Hampton is where we need to think. And uh, I didn't even get a chance to pick like uh, dream team independent candidates. Maybe the next right. time we can have a chat about that. That would be great. We could do that. That'd be awesome. Well, thank you so much, Joe. Take care. Nice to meet you. Thanks for calling in. Peace. All right, everyone. Well, thank you all so much for being here for this episode. Um, I know it got a little ranty in the beginning. It got a little ranty, just a little bit, a lot of rants. Um, but honestly, I need to get that out. I've been, girl, I've been watching too much 9-11 shit, post 9-11 stuff, reading, just remembering all of these things that we a lot of us lived through, but some of us didn't. And going back down memory lane, I'll tell you what, it was it was a fire drill because I it's it maybe hindsight's 2020, you know. But so much of where we are today, really, so much of it really can be traced back in a big way to 9-11 and the response of Bush and Cheney and, and that, that government and our media and everything after 9-11. And, you know, I know we all kind of know that. Most of us kind of knew it at least. And it's, but it's worth kind of going back down that lane and, and, and really remembering the particularities of it, the, the, the particulars, you know, the, the specific details, these things that we all kind of have in our minds, but had, they're hazy. Because remembering these memories, Trump was an inevitability. Honestly. I posted a, um, a documentary in the description for this episode. And if you're up for it, I'd, I'd take a look at it. Because a lot of this, too, I think it does a good job of going over a lot of the main points, even though it misses a lot. It misses a lot, too. But you just wonder where we could have been and what we could have been doing instead. But maybe, maybe the reason everything had to shake out like it did, I don't know, is for us to to wake the fuck up to make sure it doesn't happen again. And I don't mean like just the, the attack. I mean, I will never forget the response. I will never forget how America fully embraced a good versus evil and then made every action that it did good, even though it was all fucking evil as shit. That level of imperialism and that level of just blatant disregard for human life, for our own bull, for God, for everything, for any of, 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 of the, the, the sort of values that America professes itself to represent freedom, democracy, you know, good goodness or, you know, whatever. I think it's worth remembering. And, I don't know, where's the silver lining here? Where is it? The silver lining is that... Huh. <laughs> I'm not going to lie, I'm having a hard fucking time finding that silver lining, dog. Maybe there is none. Maybe there doesn't need to be, but maybe there. Maybe the silver lining is is 
us going forward. And actually, Derek, I'm I'm, I'm about to stop, but I'll, I'll bring you up real quick, and then I'm I'm going to bed. But I wish you would have called in earlier, Derek. What's going on? Hey, yeah, it's it's uh it's all worth remembering and examining. Yeah, but uh, bye. Go catch a fucking comedy. <laughs> All right, fine. I'll do that. Um, thank you, Derek. I'm I'm gonna go catch a comedy. Everyone, I'm okay. <laughs> People think I'm like real sad today or something. I feel fine. It's just uh, reexamining all this shit was kind of like wow, uh, wow. Look, I I'm glad that at least y'all are asking questions. Not just asking questions. I part of me feels comfort in the fact that you all are just as upset about all uh, how all of this is turned as I am. And if we're all upset for the right reasons over the same shit that happened, then maybe that means we can build something different. Maybe, you know, maybe it means we've learned the lessons and then who knows? Who knows, dude, I'm, I'm watching a comedy. Uh, Sonia said, sometimes there is no silver lining, but, it's worth remembering anyways, uh, silver lining or no. All right, y'all. Thanks for tuning in to the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. Hope you enjoyed your stay, and we'll see you next week. Take care.